Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. This is the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon. I'm joined this week by Jake McGee. Hello, sir. And a returning friend of the WinFL Show, Andrew McCaskill. Mr. McCaskill, how is life treating you these days? I'm quite well, thanks. Thanks very much for inviting me back. I don't know what I do to deserve it, but I appreciate it. Well, I mean, listen, it's always good to have you on here, I can tell you that. So, uh, we have got a full slate of games to go into, gentlemen. We also have the trade deadline to discuss. We've got our Winifel Weekly Awards, plus the uh, Week 9 Preview and Random Stats. So, it's an action-packed episode. And we are going to kick off with the Thursday night game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills at Highmark Stadium in front of 70,416 fans. And it was a two-and-fro affair in this one, but the Buffalo Bills prevailed with a 24-18 victory in this game. Um, looking at some of the box scores, Baker Mayfield, by all accounts, played pretty well in this. 25 of 42, 237 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked three times. They really couldn't get the running game going, though, eh, over in Tampa Bay. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, 31 of 40 for 324 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. But he also had seven for 41 and a rushing touchdown. Um, this Bills team, as I've been watching it, it's we mentioned this last week, Jake. They've been so hot and cold, and you're just looking at them saying, which Bills are the real Bills? Well, the thing was that in this game, it actually looked um, for, a, for a brief period like the Bills might actually run away with it, uh, just when they went up 10 nothing early in the second. Um, but the Buccaneers clawed their way back. It was actually 10-10 um, before the Bills scored a late one in the first half. It was 17-10. And then, as I say, they went up 24-10 in the third before Baker Mayfield hit Mike Evans with a touchdown pass of 240 to go to cut it down to eight, but to cut it to six, I should say. The big story about this game was the final play because Baker Mayfield fires a Hail Mary down. We've seen this a million times, but this is one of the most bizarre Hail Marys I've seen because he launches the ball into the end zone and as it's coming down, there's a lot of pushing and shoving and we always see this. There's people talking about um, should there be pass interference because every player is pulling and tugging each other. But Chris Godwin just didn't turn around and the ball landed at his feet. By the time he turned his head, the ball was already there and just landed. I've never seen the Hail Mary hit the ground in front in a gaggle of players, six or seven players, and nobody touched the ball. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. But then the big story is pass interference because there was all kinds of pushing and shoving going on. Um, Andrew, I'm going to chuck it over to you quickly. In a scenario like this, do you think it should be called or do you think it's one of those plays where the refs are going, listen, if we call pass interference in this, we're calling on both teams, it's going to offset unless there is an actual single blatant one and there's no others going on. Do you think it's a case of that and they're just saying, just let the, let the play go, see what happens, if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't. Or do you think this was a missed call by the refs? What, what do you think about it? I think I think it's exactly, the, the mindset does seem to change and it suddenly becomes a let them play. Largely just, if it's, if it's the last play of the game, that's important. Unless it's absolutely like a singular blatant um, uh, foul, they basically let it go. So I, I would be, it's not that they shouldn't, but I would be surprised if we got 
10 guys all rummaging around and kind of pushing and shoving. Nothing's going to be called there. They're just going to say six of one, half a dozen of the other. End of. Yeah, because obviously the Tampa Bay fans were livid that there wasn't a call there. Uh, but then it, it really was because, I mean, there was clearly some defensing defensive pass interference going on but at the same time the reason Chris Godwin didn't turn around is because he was shoving a Bills player with his back <laughs> to the quarterback and then he turns around and, and the ball lands at his feet um, which if, if he turned around one second earlier he would have caught an uncontested he didn't even need to jump for it it landed right beside him Jake did, did you see this final play what, what do you think about that do you think the refs would are they right in not calling that just because there's far too much going on? Because we've seen a pass interference called in Hail Marys before. It's one of the reasons teams do it, you know, at the end of a half um, from their own 20-yard line in the hopes of getting a pass interference call. What do you reckon? Well, I think, like you said, the, the Bucks were feeling hard done by not getting a flag. Well, like you say, if Godwin had turned around and caught it, the Buffalo Bills fans would have been feeling hard done by it because, like you said, he, he was only in that position because he was the one interfering. So I think it really is six of one and a half dozen of the other. And you kind of just have to let it play out. And, you know, if they start throwing a lot of flags on Hail Marys, you're going to see a lot more Hail Marys because people are just going to take advantage and say, oh, well, every time we're on like fourth and 15 rather than punting it, we're just going to go a Hail Mary and see if we can get a flag. So the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are now three and four. The Buffalo Bills are five and three. And uh, we are going to move on, gentlemen. And we come to the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers at Bank of America Stadium in front of 71,505 people who watched the Carolina Panthers barely. And I mean barely sneak past the Texans with a 15-13 to 13 win. Um, it was one of those games where I was just, I, I had no idea who was going to win this game in, in the last few minutes. But Eddie Pinheiro with a 23-yard field goal as time expired. 15-13 um, to Carolina. Uh, Jake, I know you watched this one. Texans, Panthers, what did you think? Yeah, it's a, a bit of a strange one. Neither team amassed 230 yards. In fact, both teams combined didn't uh, get more yards than my sorry Saints, which is a, a strange feeling. Um, now for the Panthers, Frank Wright, before the bye, handed over the play calling duties to the offensive coordinator, Thomas Brown. Uh, that kind of seems to have changed a few things for them. Uh, and although it was a defensive battle in this game, it was also a battle between the number one and the number two pick. Uh, Bryce Young getting his first win. Pretty sweet getting over CJ Stroud as well, even though they're quite good pals. I'm sure he has not been immune to all the noise of... Obviously, CJ Stroud's been doing very well, and it was number two pick. Did the Panthers make a mistake? And he seems very laid back and a very easy-going guy, but he is human at the same time. I'm sure it was a, a big relief to get that win, uh, see that field goal go in. That's uh, also snapped a 56-game losing streak in any game they trailed at uh, in the fourth quarter, which is pretty pretty devastating for the Panthers. If you're going into the fourth quarter trailing, you just assume you're going to lose. Um, now, the Texans' offense struggled against a pretty maligned Panthers' defense. They had given up 84 points and 12 touchdowns in the last two games. So to only get 13 points and kind of struggle so much against the Panthers' defense, was it a case of the Panthers over the bye week really sorted a few things out, or was it more on the Texans' side? Uh, they only had one play over 20 yards, the Texans, which is a, a huge concern if you can't get any kind of burst plays. Uh, and you mentioned the field goal, obviously, to win it. 
Well, Eddie Pinheiro had to take that three times. Um, didn't seem to be phased as he converted all three times, but there was definitely some mind games going on. They were jumping off sides on purpose and all sorts of uh, tomfoolery, but kept as cool. Kicked the field goal three times, gets the three points, gets the win for the Panthers. Yes, indeed. And that's the first win for the Panthers, Andrew. Now, um, they moved to one and six. Texans fall to three and four, but there's still a lot to be hopeful for, despite the fact that, as Jake already mentioned, the, the, the offensive showing by both of these teams was not very good. Um, there's still a lot of hope there for Houston. Um, Carolina, do you think this might be a sort of turning point in their season? They might be able to generate a little momentum, perhaps rattle off a couple of wins in a few weeks, or do you think this might just be, as a lot of people are predicting, one of maybe their only two or three wins through the entire course of the season? Because They've not looked good. What do you reckon? Yeah, it, it, you find often that winning becomes contagious. And so if you can get one on the board, that's a starter. You got that monkey off the back right away, which is great. You know, to finally get that, that, that win. And they were the last winless team. I always root for the teams who are winless because I've been through a, a near winless season. It's not fun. Uh, so now it's, it's kind of building. They've got some, some, some good players, some young players. Um, Bryce Young... You know, he was he was high draft pick number one. This is now his offense. He's hopefully can start pushing things forward. Maybe, hopefully, I just want to see good football. For Jake, it's like, no, I hope he's terrible. <laughs> this is the Panthers we're talking about. But uh, it's possible. I'm, I, I'm not expecting him to go and win five, six in a row. But if this is just building blocks, they can start building towards something, get three or four wins on, on the board, finish with four or five wins for the season. It's something to work on for next year. So, gentlemen, we are moving on to Jerry World, AT&T Stadium, where the Los Angeles Rams took on the Dallas Cowboys in front of 93,448 fans. And this game wasn't even close. The Cowboys just immediately jumped out to a 33-3 lead with 2.27 to go in the first half. Um, everything seemed to go wrong for the Rams on this day and the Cowboys come away with a 43-20 win. Andrew, um, you watched this one. What did you make of it? Was this a case of the Rams being really bad or unlucky in that first half or did the Cowboys really look that good? It, it was quite interesting. It's, I actually thought, just start right right at the get-go, I actually thought the Rams were looking okay. Their D-line were, were pressuring well. They were getting a dark. They were causing problems. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a five-minute spell uh, to I think towards the end of the first, the start of the second half, where the Cowboys score 19 points, and that that for all intents and purposes uh, put an end to it. Um, I thought as a whole, Dallas were great in all three phases. Um, the record for pick sixes in a, in a season is four. Uh, that was Eric Allen for Philadelphia in '93. Deron Bland had his third of the season in this one, uh, not Stafford's best throw, and then there was the block point for the safety. Uh, and then uh, Turpin had a great punt return, and he had, he had a touchdown called back. Uh, but it was kind of it was very much the CD Lamb show. Dak Prescott, CD Lamb, uh, two touchdowns. CD Lamb had career high twelve catches, career high one hundred fifty eight yards. Dak, I thought, was absolutely phenomenal on the day. Twenty five for thirty one for three hundred and four, four touchdowns and one interception. And the interception was off a couple of of deflections. It was back at the line, and then it, the receiver couldn't grab it. And they scored. Uh, the first uh, touchdown ca- catch uh, caught by Jake Ferguson was a tremendous throw. Uh, when you look at the Rams' offense, their top receiver, Dal Henderson, running back. 
<laughs> not ideal. Naku and Cup combined for just 64 yards and seven catches. This didn't run well. Royce Freeman did, and he, he got the touchdown, but he didn't see many carries. He was in single digits for carries. Um, so by that point, once the Cowboys were ahead, it was done. Um, but I think the story is Stafford. You know, basically missed, he came out for the second half, hurt himself doing the, the Philly special on the two-pointer. Uh, he's got a, uh, another collateral ligament sprain. So will he miss time? That's in the question, because that could put the Rams in trouble. They've dropped to three and five now. The Cowboys up to five and two, um, tied for third in the NFC totally behind Philly and Detroit. It was Dallas's 11th win in a row at AT&T since Brady beat them to open up the 2022 season. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was comprehensive by the Cowboys, uh, but the Rams were decent early doors. But once once that 19 points and five minutes happened, it was pretty much game over. Uh, Jake, that's two weeks in a row now that Cooper Cups had some really poor stats. Do you think it's purely a regression? Obviously, the, the injury to Stafford didn't help, but do you think it's a, a, a just a regression of the quarterback play that's causing that? Because uh, before he was playing and Nakua was the lead man there in, in Los Angeles, and we all thought, you know, when Cup comes back, they're going to have two legitimate number one wide receivers. Um, but and when it looked like that in Cup's first game back, the last couple of games really haven't looked very good. Do you think it is all down to the quarterback play? I think it's hard to to judge on on this game. Like I said, last game was a concerning like kind of start, and then this one really doesn't help. But like I say, with Stafford being injured and going out, it's it's hard to kind of judge them. But seven for sixty four, like Andrew says, that would be a bad stat line this year for either of them, let alone both of them. Um, so it's uh, definitely worrying. Now, I believe the Rams have a bye week, not next week, but the week after. And that kind of begs the question, if that is right, do you play Stafford this week and risk it? Or do you just kind of, you know, nobody expected the Rams to do anything this year. Um, if anything, they've overachieved. Do you just kind of suck up a week um, and then have a bye week and you've, you know, take Matt Stafford for, you know, two, three weeks time? Or do you just, you know, a lot of you know a lot of coaches and players you you play to win if if Stafford and Stafford has proven time and time again even since his rookie season if he's injured and can play uh he'll play he he's not going to sit himself down that's for sure but if that is right and I've not double checked it I think it is that uh week 9 week 10 by I think for the Rams yeah. if that is the case I I would be sitting Stafford myself yeah I think it's something we seriously needs to think about and I think he should just not not sort of concede the next game because that's a ridiculous thing to see but prepare for the next game with Brett Ripon as your quarterback sit Matt Stafford let him you know recover then you've got the bye week then come back have a healthy quarterback they're of course they're still going to try and win every single game they're three and five which is not out of contention by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I think, you know, even if they fall to three and six, they can still make the playoffs. It, it's not it's not like they're going to be 0-9. Three and six is, is not ridiculous. So I, I, if I was McVeigh, I would be doing that. I think he's got to seriously consider um, just sitting Stafford uh, for the next game. Um, and he may be forced into that. Who knows what that actual injury is going to entail. So we move on, gentlemen. We come to Lambeau Field where the Green Bay Packers host the Minnesota Vikings in front of 78,113 people. And 
the big story with this, of course, is it was a win-loss for the Vikings. They won this game 24-10. At no point did it ever look like they weren't going to win this game. This Green Bay offense uh, with Jordan Love is just putrid at the moment. But they did lose Kirk Cousins. Um, it appears that it's his Achilles and he's out for the season. Um, Andrew, we'll put it over to you. Uh, Vikings, Packers, what did you make of it? Yeah, Vikings were pretty comfortable for most of the game. Uh, the kicker, Greg Joseph, only went one of, th- one of three on field goals. And he also kicked a kick of it a bounds. It just, it just didn't matter. The Packers didn't get their first, first down until there were four minutes left in the half, in the first half. Uh, Cam Akers scored Minnesota's his first rushing teaser, first quarter to give them the lead. Uh, and up 10-3 at the half with the Packers not really being able to do much. Minnesota got two quick touches from Hawkinson and Addison to put the game away midway through the third. Uh, the second touchdown for a brilliant play from Josh Meckles to rip the ball from Jaden Reed as he was coming down with it to record the interception. You know, it was right on the receiver's hands and Meckles just took it off the receiver. It was, it was a cracking play. Uh, Packers actually did then get better, um, you know, better to a degree. Because uh, Love, love they obviously were struggling. Love was poor. Uh, but Packers then did put in their best drive of the day, drive of the day with Love finishing an 18-play drive. Uh, by getting a one-yard touchdown to Romeo Dobbs to make it 24-10. Uh, but there was no scoring in the fourth quarter. It was done. Minnesota had a field goal block, then they lost a fumble and they punted. And Green Bay had the ball three times and in all three possessions, they turned the ball over on downs. Cousins was efficient before the, se- uh, before the season was ended. Uh, 274 yards and two TDs. Uh, he should have been picked on the second play of the day. Uh, but Quay Walker just let bounce off his hands. Yeah, it, it was... It, 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 there was no... Uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, KJ Osborne, Hawkinson, and Addison together all had uh, each each had over eighty yards. Uh, I think Addison looks like a real find. You know, he's just getting into his rookie season, and it's it's get it's getting it's 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 looking like he's progressing well. Jaden Reed for Green Bay was the only wide receiver to crack eighty yards for them. Uh, the Vikings still can't run the ball. Akers first carry went for nine. This remaining eight went for ten. Match the makers combined ran the ball for 50 yards on 25 carries. Uh, the Packers weren't much better on the, on the, on the run game either. Um, so that's not good. Aaron Jones just isn't really around. Um, but uh, the Vikings, we were talking earlier about 3-5 and five being in the wildcard mix. The Vikings are now are still in the wildcard mix, 4-4. Four and four. They're right in it. The question now is, obviously, is, is Cousins won't be their quarterback. The Packers have dropped to 2-5. Could be a struggle for them. But in the NFC, you're not out of it. No, you're not out of it, but the way the Packers are playing, they look like a really bad 2-5 and five team, as opposed to the mm-hmm. you know the Vikings, who, with Kirk Cousins, look like a pretty good 4-4 four and four team. Um, the, the, the Packers, I, the, unless something dramatic changes there, I don't know what's going to happen. You mentioned Jordan Addison there. He's really coming on, and every week he mm-hmm. looks better and better and better. He seems to be an absolute steal. Um, Jake, very quickly, just get your views. Green Bay, Jordan Love, what do you think? Do you think it is just the fact, you know, it's his first season starting, um, there's going to be some growing pains, but I've, other than week one, where he looked spectacular against Chicago, he's done nothing this year. What do you think? What do you make of Jordan Love so far? Yeah, I don't really give him the pass of it being his first year because he sat for like three and then all preseason they were raving about him. And after the comeback in the fourth quarter against the Saints, I had thought and kind of hoped that this was going to be Green Bay pushing on. It's like, okay, it wasn't just the Saints collapse, the, these Packers, they're, they're going to fire. And then since then, they've been pretty woeful. So that makes that loss 
even worse. Um, now, they have signed Rashawn Gary to a monster contract of $107 million four-year extension, which he broke himself, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, don't let these insiders break it. He just released it himself. And it, with the money as well, which is even more interesting, is that he just released, like, yeah, I've signed an extension. Here's how much I've signed it for. It's like, fair play. Um, but on the same time, Green Bay have traded away one of their best corners. And I, I don't really know where they're, they're at, um, Green Bay. And they're a mystery. I don't feel like even in the NFC, they have a chance uh, this year. And I feel like they kind of feel the same. They're already kind of planning for next year. Yeah, they, they, they absolutely look like the worst. They legitimately look like the worst team in the NFC North. I wasn't sure I was going to say that because uh, I thought the, the Bears might be, but the Packers just look absolutely horrendous uh, at the moment. They really need to do something to, to get their season back on track. But we're going to move on, gentlemen. The Atlanta Falcons and the Tennessee Titans at Nissan Stadium in front of 68,008 fans who watched Will Levis. 19 for 29, 238 yards Four touchdowns, a reading of 130.5. Three of them going to DeAndre Hopkins as the Titans beat the Falcons 20-23. Jake, this was your game to watch. It was quite an an exciting game, backwards and forwards. Well, it seemed to be I didn't watch the entire thing. Maybe you can give me some better insight on that. What did you make of this one? Yeah, it was a a wild one. And Ryan Tannehill may not have been traded at the deadline, but I feel safe in saying this is Will Levis' team now. Uh, The bigger question, or what I had wrote down is, the bigger question is whose team is it down in Atlanta? But they've actually named Taylor Heineke the starter for this weekend. Um, How that came about? Well, Desmond Ritter had three points in the first half, went 8 of 12 for 71 yards and took five sacks, including a a strip sack from Jeffrey Simmons, who was just a monster for the Titans on that D-line. He had two sacks in total. Um, now, Ridder cleared concussion protocol, uh, but did not come back out in the second half. In fact, came out with like a baseball cap. It was like it was no, he made you come back. It was he he was done for the day. Uh, in steps Taylor uh, Taylor Heineke, who we've been begging for um, last few weeks. Uh, led the team to twenty points. He went twelve for twenty one for one hundred seventy five and a touchdown. He only took one sack and scored on four of his first five drives. So it was a lot more promising once. Heineke came in, say this week going forward, it will be interesting for the Falcons. Uh, you mentioned Levis, uh, three, four touchdowns, led the Titans to score their most points since 2021. And he became the seventh rookie quarterback to start the season. That is the most since the merger, not including the strike seasons for obvious reasons. Um, the game itself was interesting, but uh, the biggest take back I had from this or well, the biggest problem I had with this is I'm really not a fan of the Titans using the Euler throwbacks, and I'm even less of a fan of the NFL ordering the college team Houston to cease their usage of the Euler-inspired alternatives because it's Houston Oilers, and the Titans chose to go away from Houston. You do, you won't see the Baltimore Ravens wearing a an orange throwback. <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland Browns throwback. Uh, yeah, it, it's just Ryan. I don't understand why it's why why the Titans use it, why it's okay, and now how on what world the NFL thinks it's okay to order Houston, a college team, from Houston, to cease using the Houston Oilers. It's like they have way more rights than the, the Tennessee Titans do. 
You're absolutely right. Uh, Andrew, did you want to mention something about that? No, just the idea, with everything that will happen with the Browns and the Ravens, just the idea <laughs> of, of the Ravens waiting for them. Oh, there would be chaos. So, yeah, see, I, I, right, so I, I love the Houston Oilers uniform. It looks gorgeous. I always liked it. Um, but they're, they're in Tennessee. They're not the Houston Oilers. Imagine if they trotted those out playing the Texans. Could you mm-hmm. imagine? That would be, you, there would be chaos. Chaos, I tell you. Mm. Oh, my word. I I love these throwbacks. Uh, the Eagles, Kelly Green. We mentioned the other week, Eagles, Kelly Green. Uh, this week, we also saw the, the Seattle Seahawks with their throwbacks as well. Much better than that god-awful thing that they have at the moment. Uh, but anyway, gentlemen, we are moving on. We come to the New Orleans Saints versus the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in front of 65,427 fans. And Jake, I did not back your Saints in this one. So clearly, it's my fault. Whenever I back your Saints and they don't do well, uh, because this one, they run away with a 38-27 victory. Um, Jake, this was your game. It's all yours. Saints, Colts, what did you make of it? Well, I would greatly appreciate you backing against the Saints for the rest of the season, if that's how it works. <laughs> uh, the Saints are 17-1 and all time when Taysom Hill has at least seven carries. That that should be the review by itself. Uh, he had 107 yards in total, 44 passing, 63 rushing, 14 receiving. He was here, there, and everywhere. Uh, Derek Carr had a much better game. Um, we actually seem to realize that there is a middle of the field, which helps. Um, he, Carr went 19 of 27 for 310 with two touchdowns. Uh, all the Saints playmakers got involved, barring John Johnson, who's been injured and just non-existent when he is. Uh, back, which is a bit concerning, especially because he got a contract. Um, I quite enjoyed Derek Carr jokingly putting up an Instagram uh, post of himself throwing with Rashid Shahid is down there somewhere because he had a kind of Randy Moss versus the Cowboys kind of game. He went three for 153 in a touchdown. Just I mean, Me and Dave mentioned it at the start of the, the year. Anytime he touches the ball, it's just electric. It, it, it doesn't... Very similar to... Some of the boys on your team, the Broncos, it doesn't touch the ball nearly enough. But when it does, yeah. you know, grab your popcorn because you know it's going somewhere. Um, Taysom Hill ran in a 20-yard touchdown. That was the Saints' first 20-yard run from scrimmage this season. Uh, that's the latest the Saints have ever done it since 1990. So hopefully it's a sign of better things to come. Uh, and then for the Colts, Jonathan Taylor had a heck of a first quarter, went 7 for 82, was looking like prime Jonathan Taylor. Um, then he finished 12 and 95. He just never seemed to get the ball again after that, which was great for Saints fans because after that first quarter, it was like, great, this is the game he decides to, to come back and they're not just kind of alternate, uh, alternating between him and Moss, but they seem to get away from it and it never really felt that particularly close. To, to myself and that's three losses in a row for the Colts and they've also never avenged the 2009 Super Bowl so I quite look forward to playing the Colts I'll bet you do uh, now Andrew I'll quickly throw it over to you Jake mentioned Rashid Shahid and electric is not even the word for this guy he's averaging 20.8 yards per reception averaging uh, he also you know he returns kicks he runs he catches the guy is an absolute weapon you you have him alongside someone with uh, you know alvin kamara 
And then you've got Taysom Hill, as Jake said, the, the proverbial Swiss Army knife, Michael Thomas, Chris Olavi. There's a lot of weapons on this Saints team. Just uh, give me your, your quick views on the Saints going forward. Yeah, and what's wonderful with that is they all, they all do different things. You know, Michael Thomas, he's not these days he's not playing up 150 yards on a touchdown. He's going to get you seven catches, 50 yards, get those chains moving. Uh, Kamara still seems to be doing do the work needed, maybe not as good as he once was. But, uh, yeah, the receivers, Olave, obviously, kind of already burst onto the scene. And, yeah, Shahid, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I, I don't watch this every play the Saints do. I'm not sure I've ever seen Shahid catch a ball near the first turn, but it's always, he's always a mile down the field, but he's open. He's just able to. He's just able to find. Fantastic. Well, like like Jake said, it's like every time. Like I watched, um, obviously worked in red zone, you know, initially, and it's almost and and slight exaggeration, slight exaggeration, but it is that sort of Randy Moss or Barry Sanders type. Every time they cut him, it's it's a huge play. It's like a weekly highlight. Mm -hmm. Of Rashid Shahid, it's absolutely ridiculous what this guy's doing. And you're right, Jake, he does not get the ball enough, especially for our liking here in the WinFL show. Um, so we're going to move on, gentlemen. We come to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Pittsburgh Steelers at Akrashur Stadium. <laughs> uh, in front of 67,225 people. And the Jaguars come away with a 20-10 victory. I thought the Steelers' defense was going to do better than this, but they had absolutely no answer for Brandon McManus and his four field goals. Um, Travis Etienne took a 56-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence. Um, and now the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett. He goes out injured. Mitchell Trubisky comes in. Doesn't have a great game. He went 15 to 27, 138 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Um, I'll put it over to you, Andrew. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh. What did you see in this one? Well, the Steelers came into the game as a team that had gone three and out on nearly half of their possessions all season. <laughs> Just coming into the game. So perhaps unsurprisingly, given that stat, the fact it was very wet, and they are two very good defenses. The Jacks' defense is phenomenal. The Steelers' defense. Largely good, maybe not as good against a run, but a largely like good defense. I don't think it was a surprise we didn't see any touchdowns in the first half. Uh, McManus was great, grabbed everything, uh, kicked everything rather, no problem whatsoever there. Um, yeah, I've just let Lawrence turn interception second quarter, throw into triple coverage, which wasn't great. Then Pickett left the game with a rib injury at the end of the first half. He is expected back for the game tomorrow night. They've also lost uh, Minka Fitzpatrick in the first few minutes. He's likely to miss time with a hamstring injury. Um, it, it was it was a game for the defenses largely. They stayed on top for most of the third quarter until Lawrence and Trubisky threw touchdowns. Um, uh, Pickens uh, had a cracking touchdown catch where he grabbed the ball, jumped over two defenders and walked into the end zone. I think, well, that's fantastic, but it was his only catch of the entire day, uh, which wasn't ideal, particularly given that he had said before the game that all the Jags' defense is essentially is that they're a hope defense and they hope the D-line can get to the quarterback. Otherwise, they're rubbish. Which is basically what he said. And uh, to end up with one catch for 20 yards, didn't exactly uh, put his money where his mouth was there. Uh, I thought Josh Allen, uh, maybe the better Josh Allen? Maybe not. But had a very good day. Oh. <laughs> Off the edge with two sacks. Two sacks, I know. I know. Uh, two sacks for a loss for the Jacksonville. I thought um, Jacksonville uh, defensive backs well. Andrew Wingard popped several times during the game. And he did also have an INT. Uh, Pickett was 10 of 16 for 73 yards and was very lucky not to throw interception early in the game. 
Trubitsky, as he said, wasn't good either, and somehow he only threw two picks. Could have easily been four. Um, I thought it was quite interesting. Lawrence had a, a, a good game by all means. It, 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 he's fascinating, I find, to watch. Um, he went 24-32 for 292 yards, a touchdown interception. Uh, only two wide receivers caught passes from Lawrence on the day. Ridley and Kirk combined for 10 catches for 129. And then Ta- Ingram and Etienne caught 13 balls for 158. And you see Lawrence sometimes mentally make a mistake, mentally do something wrong. But his arm tant, uh, uh, it was interesting. You, when I watch, I'm, I'll talk about Jane Hurts later. Jane Hurts, I don't look at as this phenomenal passer of a football. I think he's a great quarterback, but he's not a phenomenal back. He's just so good at doing other things to create time, to create space to do it. And like, you see mistakes Lawrence makes, but the arm talent is, when he is properly on it, it's just, the, the throws can be absolutely fantastic. Um, but I think it was kind of a day for, for, for checking the ball down for him. Um, neither team ran the ball well. Um, again, the Steelers mustered up 32 yards and 12 carries between their top two running backs. Um, there were a couple of iffy refereeing calls that Jacksonville benefited from. There was a shockingly bad rough in the passer call. It's just, the defender doesn't wrap him up, lands his legs, and it's called. And then like the next the next series, Pickett gets hit harder, and it's a no-call. A correct no-call, but a no-call. Uh, and then there was a fair um there was a fair online outrage over the field goal the that the Steelers converted and then it wasn't given for an offside so the guard who was I don't think he was offside, but if he was, it was a sliver, and yet it looked like one of the Jags defensive ends were a half yard offside. Uh, they ended up missing the field goal and then obviously they were too far behind at the end. But Pittsburgh now dropped to four and three, three way tie for second in the AFC North. Uh, Jacksonville, I think, surely have a sight set in a, on a division crown at the, at the very least. They moved to six and two. Yeah, they're six and two, and they've got a three-game lead in that division. Uh, Jake, very quickly mm-hmm. now, uh, as as Andrew absolutely succinctly put it, <laughs> Josh Allen, the Jags, Josh Allen, yeah, arguing maybe the better Josh Allen. He's definitely the more consistent Josh Allen. Every week, this guy is playing at an absolutely top level. Um, I think we can safely say he's bound for the Pro Bowl this year. He's absolutely incredible as a player. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, Najee Harris has been such a disappointment for the Steelers, in my opinion, since he got drafted. He's just been, he's done nothing for this team. And Pickens appears to be the only player who scores for Pittsburgh. I mean, it's the only pass plays that work are the ones go to Pickens, and he, and he gets one catch. What do, what do you think of the Steelers' offense? It's, is it as bad as it looks? It's, it really is a, a massive statement towards the preseason means absolutely nothing because in the preseason the Steelers offense looked like it was about to be like you know, the Dolphins of like seventy two. Uh, it, it felt <laughs> that all the hype going into it, every single uh, drive they went on was a touchdown. Everything worked perfectly, and then come real football, Badger um, Harris can't run a ball. They can't get the ball to Pickens. Uh, Deontay Johnson went out injured. He's obviously now back, and he seems to get targeted about 15 times a game, but gets five catches. And as someone with a lot of George Pickens and his fantasy team, up until the touchdown right near the end, I was crying, thinking I've benched John Addison or Amari Cooper in a couple of my leagues, and I've got you know Pickens on there with with zero points. I, I, it was 
inducing much stress within me. Um, <laughs> losing Minka Fitzpatrick is just brutal. That is mm. a big, big loss. Um, whether it be in the hamstring, it didn't look great. Um, if he misses significant game time, it's going to be a big problem for the Steelers. And then, like I say, with the Jacks, that's four in a row and a big win on the road. It is indeed. Uh, so, gentlemen, we are going to move on and we come to the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in front of 65,836 fans. And the Patriots took a 7 nothing lead in this one. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, maybe the Dolphins aren't the bogey team that I thought they were against New England. But not to worry, of course not. The Dolphins absolutely blew the doors off the Patriots, 31-17 in this one. And uh, Andrew, this was your game, I'll hand it over to you. Um, Dolphins, Patriots, your team, Miami, what do you think? Yeah, it's, this is the second time. We've, we're now done with the past. We've, we've Miami played them twice. Um, it, it, and it was very similar to the first game in that, again, as you said, New England took the lead. It was a two-interception. Um, took the lead. Kendrick Bourne gave, gave him the touchdown. Uh, and whilst New England were, were, were camp, the camp stuck around, much like they did in the first game, I just at no point did you ever think the Dolphins were going to lose it. That the 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 game earlier in the year, it was it was the same. The Dolphins were just comfortable, but didn't get didn't pull away, and that was the same uh, this time. Obviously, England took the lead as we said, but then Hill splits a double team and a dime from two. I leveled it up, and I said that Wilson got his first touchdown catch of the season, uh, and then that was us ahead, and, and we didn't look back. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was back. We interception. We was fond of Ante Parker. Matt Jones thought Kendrick Bourne was free. I think it was Kendrick Bourne. Turned, turned, put on the Jets, just went flying, grabbed the ball off him. It's a kind of play that only elite athletes can do. You wouldn't think about it, but Jalen Ramsey just grabbed it, off he went. As a debut, fantastic. Uh, Mostert had a, a, a quieter day, you know, um, and th- there are fumbling issues. Uh, he, he just can't seem to hold on to football, which could, put a, could, be a, could be an issue, but he did get a touchdown uh, to put us 14 points clear. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, much maligned. Jake, Jake's often talking about him. <laughs> got him, got to score this, got to score this game. But then, right next, next drive, Jalen Wardle left wide open. Um, a phenomenal play action fake. Three pats followed for the runner. Jalen Wardle wide open. Thirty-one yard touchdown. Game over, basically. Mac Jones continued to look like he's just not the guy. Sixteen or twenty-nine, hundred sixty-one yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Zeke didn't get much of the ball, but I thought he ran well when he did. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, I think the season's over. He went down a heap after a catch. He's been their best receiver, I think, by country mile this year. That's that's going to hurt them. Uh, Kyle Duggar played well in the past secondary. He had a good inter- well, a, a, an interception um, where he just jumped the route. Uh, he also had a sack. Jelani Tavai, the linebacker, I thought was all over the place for the Pats, looking fantastic. Um, Tyreek, now I think he got he eclipsed 100 yards and after a touchdown. First player in the Super League to record at least 1,000 yards in the first eight games of a season. He is on course um, to blow the doors off of Calvin Johnson's record, which is um, quite impressive. We can keep that up. I thought two hours at standing again. 30 or 45, 30 for 45, 324 yards, three touchdowns, and the, the interception. He's just so accurate. Found 10 different receivers. He was picking on JC Jackson consistently. Great success. He was just, where's JC Jackson? Throw it that way. Catch. Uh, I think, I think you, I, I feel like with the Dolphins, the only issue you have is just with the scheme in place and they quickly move the ball out is that if Tua thinks somebody's open and somebody in the zone jumps in front of them, that, you're going to get interceptions that way. 
Um, but other than that, we're looking good. The, the Dolphins at one game, uh, they were down three projected O-line starters to start the game and lost a fourth for part of it. So we only had Austin Jackson as a projected starter on the offensive line. But he's had a, he's having a phenomenal year. And because Tua gets the ball out so quickly, it's making a lot things a lot easier for the for the rest. We still didn't have still no Xavier Howard, um, but we did have Nick Needham back, which is good. I thought New England barely threw Jalen's way. It was it was almost like half the field was gone for a lot of it. Um, it was just wonderful. So uh, New England's woes continue. So they're now they are now dead last in the AFC. There's not a single team below them, and they're two and six. And like I say we we could be talking about two and six being potential playoff in the in the NFC. I think they're already out of player contention. I would guess at two and six in the AFC. Miami up to six and two. Wonderful. Yeah, the Dolphins are looking good. And uh, you mentioned uh, Tyreek there. And obviously, I mean, he's on course to blast past two thousand yards a season uh, receiving. But if teams leave Jalen Waddle that wide open, then he could have 2,000 yards because, oh my word, on that touchdown pass, there wasn't a player within 15 yards of him. And you just think, oh, you just think, what was that coverage? Uh, Would you very rarely see with that uh, Bill Belichick defense team just playing so badly? Uh, against them so we're going to move on gentlemen and we come to my word the battle of new jersey the new york jets and the new york giants in metlife stadium in new jersey in front of eighty-three thousand three hundred and sixty-seven fans and last year the broncos played the colts in what it it was in most people's opinions the most boring shambolic offensive performance by two teams that anyone had seen in a long time while this game absolutely crushed that i'm going to give you a couple of stats here just a couple of stats total yards for the giants was 251 for for the jets for the giants 194 so you think that doesn't sound so bad you know it, it, it could be a lot worse there was 85 yards of penalties for the Jets, 73 yards of penalties for the Giants. Third down conversions. Jets, 2 for 15. Giants, 2 for 19. Neither team had converted a single third down by the end of the third quarter. All four third down conversions happened in the fourth quarter. This was absolutely just abominable abominable offensive output now here's the real kicker this is the real one thomas morstead for the jets punted 11 times but not to be outdone jamie gillen for the new york giants punted 13 times 24 combined punts in this game it was utterly utterly appalling final score if anybody cares by the way it was 13 to 10 to the jets the jets touchdown which happened in the first quarter came from a Brees hall catching a check down from zach wilson and then taking it 50 yards for the score the giants had at quarterback tyrod taylor who went four of seven for eight yards sacked twice gets knocked out of the game they then bring in something called tommy devito apologies tommy if you're listening i apologize i'd never heard of you 
I wasn't aware that you were on on the field, but they'd have been better off playing Danny DeVito because I'm telling you, this was absolute just garbage. He went two of seven. I'll repeat this. Two of seven for negative one yards passing in this game. It was it was awful. This this was the worst, the worst offensive game. I watched every single play of this game. I had to, because I knew I was going to be covering it, just in case something happened. And it was just horrendously bad. Everything that could go wrong for both of these offenses did go wrong. And at the end of the game. So here's the thing. Here's what happened at the end of the game. The New York Giants are winning this game 10-7. to 7. And then with about a minute and 40 to go, minute and 50 to go, they, they get the ball back. Deep in their own territory. And I don't know if the coach just forgot that they need a first down to be able to run out the clock because the Jets still have timeouts. They do three inside handoffs the Jets call it timeouts. And then the, the 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 Giants coach whose name I've completely forgotten already. Brian Dable. <laughs> Brian Dable is like, oh, uh, oh, hang on. Do we have to punt? Yes, you have to punt. And there's still time for the Jets. And then the Jets go down the field, kick a field goal, tie it up with time expired, goes into overtime. Neither offense can do anything. And the Jets eventually kick a field goal, win the game. 13-10. It, it, this was appallingly bad. Brian Dable had no... He didn't... It's almost like he didn't know how many seconds he can run off by running the ball three times if the Jets still have any timeouts left. It's like he, he just wasn't aware of the clock and what was happening. And I, I watched this and I was just praying for this game to be over because when when they, they punted the ball back to the Jets, I was saying, if this goes into overtime, I don't know if I can handle it because it's so bad, and it did, and I was like, I, I can't believe I've got more, more to watch of this game. It was awful. Um, do either of you guys have anything to say about this game? Because I was, I was hoping, praying the Giants would win because they had the ball, and I thought, please, please. Uh, I, uh, I, so I was also hoping want the Giants to win myself as well. Um, I thought it, it was so evident of how bad it was that there was at one point where Mr. DeVito because they knew fine well DeVito was never going to throw you on the field there's one point where they set up a screen and Quinn Williams has the quarterback if he wants him he, he, they just leave uh, Quinn Williams he's got the quarterback he wants he doesn't even go near the quarterback he sees the quarterback Barkley and just goes stands next to the quarterback Barkley and, and DeVito still tries to throw to Barkley they had nothing it, it, they, neither team's good I have no idea how the Jets are 4-3 I don't, but um, there's, there's begin to be rumblings that Mr. Rogers might be back the end of the season, uh, and I don't think the Jets are good enough personally, but uh, if they got him back, maybe maybe they could do something, but uh, oh, it was it was something else, <laughs> some game. Andrew here, he's, he's mentioning that, that the, you know, the DeVito's there uh, for the Giants, and he comes in, he's absolutely horrendous. This Jets offense, if it, even if Aaron Rodgers comes back, this Jets offense is stinking. I'd like to point out I'm slightly vindicated from Nathaniel Hackett. This offense is absolutely rancid. Jake, do you have anything to offer to this game whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, the Jets have three wins 
where it makes no sense. You just look at the game, and like Andrew says, how are the Jets four and three? Uh, the Giants really did help. They had the forty-seven field, uh, yard field goal miss, a thirty-five uh, yard field goal miss, and even Debido, who dropped a pick six last week, went from hero to zero in this game. For me, he had three sacks, three tackles for loss, was having a great game, uh, but he jumped offside, which stopped the clocks for the Jets right at the end, which allowed them to get into field goal range and kick a field goal. So, it's, you know, the three sacks and three tackles for a loss are great, but you're the one of the sole reasons they lost this game in the end because the Jets never should have had chance uh, to be in this game. But the, it really did feel like the Giants were doing everything in their power to lose this game. Oh, yeah, it was it was awful. As I said, like rancid is the perfect word. For, for it this was just horrendous um we're gonna move on gentlemen thankfully <laughs> but staying in the nfc east the philadelphia eagles and the washington commanders at fedex field in front of sixty-four thousand six hundred and fifty-three fans and this was a nice close game i enjoyed this one actually um the eagles come away with a 38 31 win over the commanders and um, the fourth quarter alone had 35 points in it 35 points in the fourth quarter. Absolutely sensational stuff. Um, Andrew, we'll put it to you. Eagles, commanders, what do you think? Okay, yeah, as you were you were talking about a terrible, terrible battle in New Jersey. Philadelphia, Washington was brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyed, as you said. Back and forth the whole way. Exciting. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, Washington didn't run much during the game, but ran well when they tried. I always had more ups and downs. I felt this season I watched them. Uh, I thought at large he was up this week, 39 for, of 52, 397, four touchdowns, one interception. He was 24 of 26 for 228 and two touchdowns in the first half. And the first touchdown pass to McLaurin was fantastic. Jahan Dotson probably has best game as a pro, eight catches, 108 yards, a touchdown. James and Crowder went seven of 95 and a touchdown on all seven targets, didn't drop a ball, didn't miss a ball. And Washington Reed dominated the first half. Uh, Joey Sly became the fourth kick of the season with a 60-plus yard field goal, which is quite incredible. Um, I think I saw somebody, I can't remember who it was, arguing that they're going to have to end up making a new stack for 55-59 to 59 because normally it's near 55-plus, but I think eventually it's going to have to become 60-plus. Because it's, it's uh, halfway through the season, we've already had 17 field goals of 56 yards or longer, which is quite incredible. Uh, I think in, in 2004, the longest field goal in the NFL all season was 55 yards. So it just kind of goes to show how much stronger the legs are getting. Uh, for all the talk we've had already of Tyreek, A.J. Brown is also actually on course to break Calvin Johnson's NFL record. He's got 939 yards in eight games. He is having a phenomenal season and he became the first wide receiver to have six to 825 yard games uh, with a, an eight catch, 132 touchdown performance. He was absolutely tremendous. And his first touchdown was, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's one of the best catches you'll see all season. Uh, right, right, one-handed grab just on the edge of the end zone so was fantastic. Uh, Jim Hurts, good again, 29-38, 319 yards and four touchdowns. He may well have a very, very good offensive line in front of him. Um, but he is so good at creating space, at working out, working out how to just prolong a play for an extra second or two. To then um, to extend it, and uh, he's so good at it. It was very interesting. I think we also saw him fumble on the belly shove. That doesn't happen very often, but it kept the game close. Devontae Smith, 
he's had such an excellent uh, uh, second wide receiver on the team. Seven catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. And he was pivotal in the third quarter as the Eagles came back to, to tie the game at 17. Uh, Logan Thomas had a cracking catch uh, to put Washington back up with, with uh, 12 to play. Um, but uh, Howard kind of then began to, to drop at that point. Philadelphia marched up the field in three and a half minutes, and Devontae Smith brought the game back up at 24. We blanked up there in interception, uh, following an overthrown hell pass. We had third to take the first lead of the game, and it was Julio Jones with his first Eagles touchdown. Um, the, but then uh, there were two turnovers from Downs for Washington. Second one was a sack from San Reddick, and that gave through the ball in the red zone with two minutes to play, needing a first down to ice the game. And a third and two at the seven, a fake belly shove left, let Swift run free. But rather than taking the ice the game, Swift decided he's going to score a touchdown to give Philly a 14-point lead. Uh, so Washington still had a chance. So what wasn't the smartest move, but what, and Washington did drive down, down the field quickly and score, but Swift recovered the onside kick to maybe make up for uh, the initial mistake. So Philly have moved now up to an NFL best 7-1, and one. Washington third in the NFC East at 3-5, and five. but... Didn't know of it either. Uh, one we took, but from after the game, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, Gainwell, the running back, got in trouble for responding to a run line throw for messaging them back during halftime after he fumbled in the first half. <laughs> uh, Jake. Um, now, Andrew already mentioned, you know, this this Eagles offense, they were the second top scoring offense in the entire NFL. Uh, and if it hadn't been for the Broncos defense, they'd be the leading uh, scorers in the NFL. They're already got, they've got 224 points. They're seven and one. Given other things that may have happened this week in games we're going to cover later on, are they the best team in the NFC? What do you reckon? I think that was always the case. I mean, the, the you know, Super Bowl or the NFC champions and obviously the Super Bowl kind of contender for the NFC. Um, I feel like, and I said a few weeks ago, same as the Chiefs, they've not played at their best and they're still in the position they are in. Um, you see other teams pick up a few injuries or a few things don't go their way and they go on a, a bit of a skid. The Eagles just seem to have a healthy balance and their lowest low, you know, their, their kind of bottom is, is still better than a lot of teams' kind of ceilings. So I, I think they're they're very consistent and we saw the brother really should have uh, stopped, like I say, because of the fumble. But then I think we were all kind of waiting at some point for them to fake it. And obviously it works because everyone is going to fully commit to stopping it. Um, using it, I mean, it won them the game or it helped contribute them winning a divisional game. Would you have saved that for the playoffs? Maybe. Um, it, you can't really stop it anyway, so maybe it won't matter. But using that in a... A week eight game is, is interesting. I, I feel like Andy Reid would not use something like that in a week eight game. <laughs> he probably wouldn't. Um, no. I was just, yeah, I was just, I just quick on that. I think Jake's exactly right. Um, what I would now do if I was a defensive coordinator is I would now be watching for the fake. You're not going to stop the shove anyway. You're not. Keep people on the sides just in case. Um, so I think I think you should save that for the playoffs personally. Uh, Brett Coleman actually uh, uh, just released a video uh, of something I didn't know regarding the brotherly shove that uh, they got this from a Scottish rugby coach who, yeah, and I, do you know what? Forgive me, I've forgotten the guy's, the gentleman's name, uh, but he coached in rugby league, rugby union, rugby sevens and the NFL. Um, and he, um, Jason Kelsey was talking about him and I forgot, 
I'm, you know, I'm cursing myself for forgetting this guy's name. Um, and he's the one who basically implemented this from rugby and says, this is how you do it. No one will be able to stop it. And so far, they have, over the past two, well, year and a half, a 93% success rate. 41 out of 44 times they have run this play, they have either converted for a first down or scored a touchdown. 93%. The only the only things that get 93% are, you know, um, elections for dictatorships. I mean, and this is ridiculous. 93%. Good grief. Anyway, gentlemen. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if you have time, you're on YouTube later on tonight, got an hour to kill, check out Brett Coleman's video about the Scottish coach who turned the Philadelphia Eagles offense into an unstoppable machine. Uh, right, gentlemen, we're going to move on and we come to Lumen Field with the Cleveland Browns visiting the Seattle Seahawks in front of 68,807 fans and they watch the Seahawks prevail. They uh, jumped out early to a 14 to nothing lead with uh, a run by Jake Bobo and then a pass from Tyler Lockett um, and they, as I say, they ended up winning this one 24 to 20. Jake, this was your game. What did you make of this? And uh, are the Browns in trouble? They might be with that offense. It's definitely going to be the offense that's the issue, not the defense. But the Seahawks put up 17 points in just the first quarter against this defense. So it was starting um, kind of from the box score when I was watching on, on Sunday. You think, hold on, what's going on here? Why are the Browns all of a sudden leaking points? Uh, but this was followed by five, point, uh, five punts and two interceptions. Uh, the Seahawks ended up being 20-17 to 17 down before scoring the, the game-winning touchdown with just 38 seconds left. Uh, they got the opportunity to score that touchdown thanks to a heads-up play from Jamal Adams, uh, resulting in a Julian Love interception. There's a good pun there. If you actually watch the interception, you'll, you'll pick up what I'm throwing down. Um, that's five wins and six uh, for Seattle. And due to a game we'll talk about later, that actually leaves them in sole possession of the NFC West, which nobody saw coming maybe three, four weeks ago. Now, for the Browns, you mentioned the offense. Um, Deshaun Watson is practicing this week but with all the mixed communication from the Browns is he will he won't he he's fit he's not fit he's clear he's not clear what well, well, I believe it when I see it but PJ Walker went sub 50% completion uh, 15 of 31 for 248 um, a lot of that on kind of screens uh, they relied heavily on a, a three-headed Russian attack that went 33 for 133 on the ground and then three for 55 through the air uh, and the Browns had field goals of 25 and 27, which you never want to see. Um, and in this game, as you can clearly see, it came back to haunt them. They're leaving points on the field. Difference between a field goal and a touchdown is four. Well, they lost by four, and they did that twice. 25 and 27-yard field goals are not good for anyone. They're not good for fantasy. They're not good for offenses. Uh, it, it's, it's not great for, for scores. And, it, and ultimately, that is what cost the, the Browns. Say Seahawks now sit atop the NFC West. They do indeed, and as you mentioned, some of those you know twenty-seven yard field goal, twenty-five yard field goal. That's, I mean, when you get into the red zone, you have to be able to convert. And once again, as we've mentioned before, uh, with every passing week, this uh, trade and contract for Deshaun Watson just looks worse and worse for the Browns. He's not even playing, uh, although he's been practicing. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, we'll see if he comes back uh, later on. Andrew, did you have anything you wanted to add to this game? Not a whole lot. Like you said, it's, it's, he, 
what Watson's going to walk back into this team, but but I don't know why. I really don't know why. I'm not seeing anything from him since he come back to suggest that he's going to he's going to run this. But given the content they've got, they have no. They, they can't. They can't take a PR disaster of sitting someone who they spent so much draft capital and so much actual money on. So I wouldn't have thought so. Um, Seahawks are very good surprise uh, to see. I didn't expect them to be to be a top NFC West at, uh, after after game week eight. Um, I did not like those uniforms because I kept thinking on red zone I was watching the Colts. I kept confusing <laughs> me. But apart from that, all <laughs> but it was, yeah, it's a good game. Yeah, so we are going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco Fortner, Forty, Fortners? 49ers. Fortners. <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco 49ers at Levi Stadium in front of 71,655 people who watch Joe Burrow seemingly just get better and better as he gets healthier and healthier. And these Bengals just handed the 49ers their third straight loss at 31 to 17 convincing fashion they jumped at 7 nothing uh, early with a Tyler Boyd pass from Joe Burrow Christian McCaffrey scored in a two-yard touchdown run uh, before uh, Andre is so Eosivas I'm getting that wrong Eosivas Eosivas not sure Sorry, uh, conference you'll yeah, be fine yeah uh, Andre is obvious go with that pass to your pass from Joe Burrow um, they then teams then exchange field goals for Jamar Chase took a 17 yard touchdown pass from Burrow in the, early in the 4th Christian McCaffrey caught a 4 yard touchdown pass from Brock Purdy and uh, Joe Mixon uh, finished the scoring with a 5 yard run with 2.54 to go 31-17 to the Bengals um, Joe Burrow looks scarily good 28 of 32 he had Four incompletions, 283 yards, three touchdowns for a rating of 134.8. Mixon got back into the game again, 16 for 87 and a touchdown. Um, And Brock Purdy didn't play particularly badly through any great stretch, but the interceptions absolutely killed the Fortnite. There was one interception, you're thinking, what was that throw even? What were you doing, Brock? It was ridiculous. Christian McCaffrey... Just keeps on scoring. He's now scored a touchdown in 17 consecutive games. That is one shy of the all-time record held by Ladanian Tomlinson. But it's not enough. And they are seriously, and for the second week in a row, really missing Debo Samuel over there in San Francisco. I don't think many people realised what a difference maker Samuel was to this offence. But without him, they just look... Um, I don't want to use the word stagnant because they did move the ball. They did score points, um, but they just could not keep up with Cincinnati. Um, Jake, I'll throw it over to you quickly. We we talked about Joe Burrow. We knew he was he was injured, um, and then he started to look better and better. If this is him at a hundred percent, or or you know, not even a hundred percent, rest of the NFL's got to be on the lookout for these Bengals, don't they? No, absolutely. I mean, last year we saw them and they started slow and everyone was like, oh, never mind. And then all of a sudden they got very hot and and a team to really contend with. And this season it felt different. It was very similar in terms of their start, but it felt different because he was injured and are they ever going to get it right? Should he be sat? Should should they rest him for later on in the year? Well, they're now four or five with a healthy borough. 
and just the difference is is palpable. And then, like I say, for the 49ers, they're 0-3 since they've hit some injuries, and every team deals with injuries. I mean, the Ravens, who are, are flying high, have had ridiculous mm. amount of injuries. Oh, yeah. And they, they, they always seem to. I don't know what goes on in Baltimore, but they always seem to have injuries. But they deal with it. The 49ers, as soon as kind of adversity comes their way, it feels like they don't deal with it as well as some other teams. You know, going in a slump in the kind of mid, you know, early to middle of the part of the season is not the worst time to, to go in a slump. They can certainly get things right. Um, they've made, you know, aggressive trades um, both years, last year and this year. I certainly am not overly worried for them, uh, but back to back passes with interception for Purdy is, mm. is concerning. It is, and I didn't think he was going to play. I thought some, because I know he came out of the concussion protocol. Um, well, he went in Wednesday, didn't he? And then came out Friday. It was yeah, bizarre. It was very bizarre. And I honestly thought, no, they're not going to do that. They're going to play. Um, oh my goodness, I've forgotten his name. Sam Donald. Thank you very much. I was going to say Sam Bradford there. Sam Donald. <laughs> uh, I know. Me as well. <laughs> Me as well. Um, yeah, I thought they were going to play Sam Donald. Um, Purdy's in the protocol for two days, and or, or not even. 48 hours and I thought that's a bit funny now I'm not saying that the reason he threw those interceptions is because maybe he's not 100% with concussion protocol we know that affects players differently um, but he didn't use to make these kind of throws or attempt these really dangerous throws and throw the ball really badly two weeks running Brock Purdy has looked really, really bad. Considering what he was beforehand, the drop-off has been dramatic. Andrew, do you have any uh, any insights on this? Do you think maybe maybe the Fortniters should have sat him? You know, maybe he wasn't ready to come back and, and they should have played Donald. What do you think? Uh, I mean, we were talking previously about Heineke coming in for Rudder, and then the Falcons came in and said, that wasn't performance-related. He, he passed the concussion protocol, but we weren't comfortable. And have come out since, and Ridder's not playing this weekend. They're saying because of health reasons. And yet, well, whether that's true or not, that's what they're saying, so we'll go with that. Um, and they're sitting up just to be safe. Purdy in protocol for two days. At the end of the day, he's been, he's been, he's been past fit. Um, I don't like it. Um, I'm not the biggest Brock Purdy fan. I think I think his stats have always looked fine. I think I don't think he passes the eye test. I think he is what he was, which was a late round pick. I don't think I think this was gonna the bubble's gonna burst anyway. But I do think he'd have been better off sitting just 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 to be safe. I don't like it. I couldn't believe it when I saw the message that said he was out of concussion protocol. I said, how, how? Nobody has ever uh, been uh, since they they probably you know, nailed this down basically after two hours last year. Nobody's played the next week. And uh, he goes in on Wednesday and he's out on Friday. Yeah, I, I, I don't love it. No, don't love it myself either. Was, uh, I have to see what happens with them next week. So, uh, Jake, you mentioned the Ravens dealing with injuries. Well, guess what? We're talking about the Ravens and the Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in front of 63,064 fans who watched the Ravens take care of business 31-24 to over the Cardinals. Um, Joshua Dobbs uh, was the quarterback for the Cardinals in this one, and he played pretty well, 25-37, 208 yards, two touchdowns, but he did throw two interceptions but he also rushed for a touchdown as well very athletic looking quarterback Lamar Jackson uh, was just Lamar Jackson in this game Jake this was yours Ravens Cardinals 
What do you think? Yeah, Gus the Bus uh, ran for three touchdowns, two of which came from those interceptions. Um, the game maybe looks closer than it was, to, to me anyway. Uh, it was seven apiece just before half time. We've kind of seen this pattern from the Cardinals. They play really hard in the first half and kind of seem to, to drop off. Uh, but a, a very costly interception that led to a touchdown just before half. And then a flurry of punts and another interception that uh, set up Baltimore all of a sudden. It was 24-7 and it felt like that game was over and it was it was done. Very similar story. Cardinals play well first half. Dire death. Game over. But no, Arizona did not go quietly into the night. They, they scored a touchdown and a two-point conversion. They had another touchdown after Baltimore answered them. And it was 31-21. There's only one minute 14 left, thinking, great effort, Arizona. You, you put up a bit of a fight. Nothing to be ashamed of. Well, they hit desperation. They retrieved an onside kick, kicked out a quick field goal to make it a one-score game, and went in for it again, but uh, Lightning didn't strike twice. The, the second onside kick was recovered by Baltimore, and that was all she wrote. But a, a bit more of an entertaining game than I was expecting, especially once it went 24-7. I kind of ripped this game off and said, okay, on to the next one. But uh, Arizona gave it a good go, and you, you, you can't hate them for that. No, they've been playing. they've played every team hard this year. Every team they've played, they've they've for at least a half. For, well, for, yeah, for at least the scores have been generally close for at least a half. But they've they've never sort of given up. You know, when you see some teams, and you know the floodgates open, and they're just like, oh, you know, what's the point? It looks like they're just going through the motions. The Cardinals really don't do that. They really push every single game. Perhaps they don't have the talent necessary to win some of these games, um, and a little bit of bad luck. Doesn't help them either. They ran into a brick wall against Baltimore, unfortunately. They did. They were just totally outclassed in this game. Um, Andrew, what did you think of this one? You see anything else? Yeah, no, I think you're, 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 you're kind of spot on. They've actually played, they've been a real surprise package. I remember when um, Flores came in for the Dolphins a couple of years ago and we said, this is the worst roster in the NFL. They're not going to win a game. And we played hard and we won games. And it's kind of the same. I see the same kind of thing here where they're, just, they're playing hard. You know, at the end of the day, you can talk about teams want to tackle all that kind of stuff. These players are playing for their careers. Whether it's, in, whether it's in Arizona, whether it's somewhere else, they need to show something. They're giving everything they can. And I, I feel a wee bit for Joshua Dobbs, who I get, we'll be talking a wee bit about him later. But he, he's, he's done everything he can. He's done everything he can to try, to try and do something with them. Um, and they are probably the least talented team in the league. And... They just they keep going, they keep trying, and um, I appreciate whatever. So it's, it's always I genuinely appreciate. It. I just I like the fact that they don't give up and they try, even when the chips are down. Yeah, I mean the Cardinals are one and seven, but and and the Panthers, for example, are one and six. But the way those two teams play, you know, week in week out, I would take the Cardinals nine times out of ten against the Panthers because they play. I would do. Yeah, yeah, they play really hard. Uh, they've just not been able to get it done, unfortunately. Uh, so we're going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to Mile High Stadium, where the Denver Broncos welcomed the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, last week, oh, sorry, in front of 76,286 fans. Now, last week, you guys know my Pickham score is awful. Dead last in the, in the league Pickhams. Horrendously bad. But last week, I picked the New England Patriots to beat the Buffalo Bills, and they said I was mad. They said I was mad picking the Patriots over the Bills, and I called it. 
and the Patriots won. And this week I picked the Broncos to beat the Chiefs. And they said I was mad. But guess they what? They laughed at us. Sorry, what was that? We laughed at you. You did you did you actually laughed at me. <laughs> I was mocked mercilessly for picking my Broncos. And all they did was absolutely crush the Kansas City Chiefs. 24 to 9. Breaking the losing streak. Nobody beats my Broncos 17 times in a row. Nobody. 16, yeah. Six, 17, six, yeah, 16, yeah. 17, I draw no. the line at 16. <laughs> I draw, that's, you know, that's a full old season. 16 games. That's a, an old season. That's a full state. No one beats the Broncos for an entire 17 game season's worth of games. No one. Last time we beat the Chiefs, Gary Kubiak was the coach. Peyton Manning was the quarterback. <laughs> it has painful. But um, they won it 24 to 9. And it was a, such a fun game to watch. I got messages from uh, one of my friends, who's a massive Chiefs fan. And he, even though the, the Chiefs lost this game, he loved it. He thought it was a great game. Um, from a neutral's point of view, this is a great game. You look at the score and you say, that doesn't look like a great game, 24 to 9. But it was backwards and forwards. There was uh, fumbles and interceptions and it was like some really good like special teams play. Um, Russell Wilson, great, I love the stat. He was 12 of 19 for 114 yards. But he threw three touchdown passes in this game. Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin. We've spoken about the I've I've spoken about these players all year. They are absolutely just lighting up. Williams is getting better with every single game. Even 27 for 85 yards in this one. Uh, three catches for 13 in the touchdown. Jaleel McLaughlin, four carries for 33 yards. On the season, Jaleel McLaughlin is over eight yards a carry. Now, he's only getting the ball four, five times a game. So, I don't know why, but he's, he's over eight yards a carry. Um, Marvin Mims had a fantastic punt return. Um, they, they caused a fumble when Cole Hardman. And that is the first time, not only is that the first time the Broncos have beaten the Chiefs in 17 games, uh, 16 straight losses, game 17. Um, it's the first time Mahomes has lost to the Chiefs. Uh, to the Broncos, I beg your pardon. Uh, it's the first time that Mahomes has lost uh, an away game against the AFC West in his entire career. That stat is just ridiculous. <laughs> that, was, that was even more ridiculous than all the ones against the Broncos, that he hadn't lost a single away game in the AFC West. But he did. And, and I'd said before, because we play the Chiefs twice in three weeks, which I don't like, but... Um, Mahomes generally has his worst games against the Broncos. They're able to scheme him very well. Uh, and Justin Simmons came up with an interception. PJ Law comes up with an interception. This team looks so much better than they did. And, you know, the fact that Andrew's here, a Miami Dolphins fan, over the past three weeks, if this Broncos, if, if these games was weeks one through three, We'd be looking at the Broncos going, do you know what? They might have one of the best defences in the NFL. They've allowed one touchdown from Kansas City in two games. But the reality is that they were the historically like the worst team in NFL history through five weeks. Uh, worst defence, I should say. And the past three weeks, they've looked so, so much better. Um, I don't really know what else to say. I was, I was on cloud nine 
with this game. I, I, I loved it. Um, the Broncos now have a bye week, and then we're playing Buffalo. So I'm going to enjoy mm-hmm. the bye. I'm not looking forward to facing Buffalo, but who knows? Who knows what could happen? Andrew, did you see anything in this game? This could be the springboard for the Broncos. Um, did you know Pickham said Mahomes to go to crew? Did you have anything to do with that at all? Oh, sorry, say that again. Uh, did you have anything to do with um, Mahomes coming down with the flu? Uh, no, I did not have anything to do with Mahomes coming down with the flu. Now, here's the thing. So, Chiefs fans, uh, whilst, uh, whilst I was congratulated by a Chiefs fan, saying, you know, great game, your team played well, they deserve to win, there was a thing, Mahomes did have the flu. And So did Michael Jordan. So did Michael Jordan. I, I had the same thought, yeah, and, and Michael Jordan won. And also... <laughs> Taylor Swift wasn't at the game. And we know that Travis Kelsey plays better when his girlfriend's watching. Because, listen, everyone does. Everyone performs better when they know their wife or their girlfriend is watching him. They always give that extra 10%. But she wasn't there. And Travis Kelsey in this game was a non-factor. He had six catches for 58 yards, which was the most on the entire team. But mm-hmm. he essentially disappeared. And I was like, well, there, there you go. You know, you take Kelsey out of the game. This game really highlighted the lack of receiver quality on the Kansas City Chiefs. When Sky Moore dropped a dead cert touchdown on fourth down that literally hit him in the hands in the end zone. And, and he dropped it. Uh, Jake, did you see anything in this one? Yeah, that. Um, <laughs> that, that ruined uh, a nice stat for Mahomes. He hadn't had a game with no touchdowns since Denver in 5th of December 2021. Um, and we saw even earlier on this season, even if he's been beating the Broncos, not necessarily always having the best game. Uh, they went one for eight in the red zone, which is... Uh, Never, never good. Um, so, just very happy for you, and uh, I apologise for mocking you last week. That's quite all right, Jake. It's quite all right. You'll get to mock me again in two weeks' time when I pick them to beat the Bills. So you'll be allowed to do that. It's quite all right. Uh, so we're going to move on, gentlemen. We come to the Chicago Bears and the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium, though you wouldn't know it. Sounded like Soldier Field in front of seventy thousand two hundred and forty fans, but the Chargers come away with a win. 30 to 13, they absolutely crushed the Bears in this one. Who had, um, oh, I've forgotten his name again, Tyson. I was going to call him Tyler again. Tyson Badgent um, at quarterback. Still uh, Justin Fields missing in this one. So um, I'm not really sure what to say about Tyson Badgent. He was 25 of 37, 232 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. The Chargers looked much better my goodness are they happy to have austin eckler back because that guy can run he can catch he can just do it all um andrew we'll put it over to you because these these bears i didn't think that you know with, with badger and a quarterback there's gonna be such a drop-off because justin fields as we know is not the best quarterback in the entire nfl but oh my word i just i i couldn't believe what i was seeing from badger what do you make of this bears team because I think I feel sorry for DJ Moore, who I just think is such a good quarterback, and he just does not seem to be getting the ball 
Um, and that bridge offensive line, obviously not up to scratch. Anyway, we can't. We've been watching Justin Fields run all over the place, but Justin Fields is such such a good athlete that he can kind of make something out of it. But uh, be honest, you know what they could do with a decent offensive line. But they're just they're not a very good team, unfortunately. The Bears, you know, they used to have a famed defense, uh, defense that you would just say, well, if the Bears could score 13 points, they might win a game. But now teams are putting up 20, 30, 40 points against them almost not every week, but a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, it's just it's not winning football, is it? It's not, no. And I think you're right. I think the Justin Fields' athleticism covered up a lot of deficiencies on that offensive line that we're only just now seeing uh, because it's not like they've had, you know, the entire offensive line decimated by injuries. I think it really is the fact that uh, because he's so elusive and he can run and he's so big and difficult to take down that it's looked a lot better because Tyson Badger back there just had no chance. As soon as he got the ball, he had a defender in his face seemingly on every drop back. It was it was a rough day in the office for him. Uh, Jake, did you see anything of this game at all? Yeah, it was great for, from the Chargers perspective. I think Herbert completed his first 15 passes. They scored points on the first five drives. And then, kind of opposite for the Bears, they opened with a 41-yard dime to, to Darnell Mooney, but didn't have another play over 20 yards the rest of the game. Um, it was just... It was a, a kind of one-sided game, and... it kind of how you expect it to go when it's the Bears against the Chargers. Yeah, so we're going to move on, gentlemen. And we come to the Monday night game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Detroit Lions at Ford Field in front of 66,774 fans. And I'll tell you this for nothing, Ewan McPhail is a happy man once again because his Lions, after taking an absolute beating the week before, came back and got their uh, took out their frustrations on the Raiders. And... This game is more a story about the Raiders because they were terrible in this game. Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't hit a barn door. Um, Devontae Adams ended up with one catch. One catch in this game. It was just horrendous. One catch for 11 yards on seven targets. Garoppolo was skying the ball, missing plays. Adam said have one pretty bad drop. But this this Raiders team was awful. The Lions looked good. Jared Goff, uh, he went 26-37, 272 yards on a touchdown. He did throw one pick. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, 26 carries for 152 yards on a touchdown. Um, they're looking really good. Amon Brown, he had six catches for 108 yards. Uh, the Lions got back on track. But as I see, the, the story of this was the Raiders, and they were absolutely just putrid offensively. And as we now know, their coach and general manager um, are the first victims uh, of the firing. Josh McDaniels has been fired. We called it. Uh, we said it weeks ago that he was going to be fired. Last week, uh, Jake, you and I were both calling for his head. Um, and he, he's finally been fired. Uh, he'd signed, was that a four-year contract? Five-year contract he'd signed with the Raiders and boom. Um, 18 months out. He's, he's gone. Jake, it's all yours. What do you think of this? I think it was a six-year contract. So I think he's getting paid for another four years to do very little. Uh, probably oh. go back 
to the Patriots, knowing uh, the way it goes there. Devontae Adams could have had 150 yards and multiple touchdowns if he had a good quarterback. Uh, the fact that they didn't trade him is just ne- just negligence of of the high school. They could have got a first-round pick or, or at least a very high draft pick um, for Devontae Adams, and they didn't trade him, which is very confusing because they've already benched Jimmy G and going with the rookie. They're not going to win many games. And you're obviously kind of trying to now figure out the future of your, your team and where you're going. Now would be the time to kind of trade away your, your, your big assets. Um, but they didn't, which is bizarre to me. I'm sure there would have been plenty of teams interested. But the Lions, that was their first Monday Night Football game in, in five years. So I think they wanted, like you say, to kind of avenge last week's uh, disappointment, but also kind of put out a statement of being like, we're really sick of seeing the Chargers and the Raiders and the Jets and the Giants every every prime time. Because there's, I don't know about yourselves, but the prime time slate as of late has been really, really poor and it doesn't seem to get much better. I'm pretty sure I just saw that the Raiders, is it the Raiders Jets or the Raiders someone wasn't oh. flexed out? And it's just like, why, why, why do we have to put up with this? I mean, yeah. I'm kind of glad in a way, as a UK fan, if I see Raiders Jets as a Sunday night football game, I'm going to bed nice and early. Yeah, well, yeah, that is that. You know that once, once the, the nine o'clock kickoff games are done, you can just go to bed because that's um, Raiders Jets. That's going to be horrendous. Um, you mentioned Devontae Adams. You're right. They could have easily, and I mean easily, got a first round pick for Devontae. And if they trade them within the division, let's say they traded him to Kansas City, they could use they could use a wide receiver. They would have got two first rounders for him from Kansas City. They would have done easily. It's just what are they thinking? Do they honestly think that having Devontae Adams there, you know, with the Raiders franchise in the state it's currently in, do they honestly think that having Devontae Adams is going to turn them into a Super Bowl contender? Because it's not. You need a quarterback. Um, it's it's not working, and they they got rid of the coach. Maybe this will give them a spark, you know. Maybe this is what they needed, uh, and but I I don't think so because Garoppolo just did not play well in this game at all. He really played. This might be I think it's his worst game uh, from an eye test point of view. Garoppolo was his last. I, he was stinking it up. He really was. Uh, Andrew, any any opinion on this at all? How about, how about those Lions? Yeah, first of all, well done to the Lions. I know it, it almost, it, it's, it's been kind of just put aside because of Ingram with the Raiders for the last 24 hours, but fantastic for them. And to bounce back, you know, we were kind of talking earlier about winning being contagious and just can you keep going forward and just not flinching. And the Lions have almost for, for years just plainly just they lose, they make a mistake. You know, they just they can't seem to get out of a funk. And you see them just get walloped by the Ravens last week. And they come back and they just they do the job. You know, Jamar Gibbs particularly was excellent. Um, I think what we said about the Raiders is just, it's crazy. Um, I think some, uh, uh, I can't remember which report it was who came out and said they, they went and asked, went behind the scenes and asked uh, uh, a Raiders official what the chances are of uh, Devante Adams getting traded. And they said, not chance like not not we feel calls and we get no just it ain't happening my thought process is Adrian O'Call's coming in and they just want someone who's as good as Adams to be there for him essentially as a safety blanket I feel for Adams he came to the Raiders for one reason because Derek Carr was going to be there and that's his pal they get rid of Derek Carr 
and he sat basically he said well you can't catch these balls from Junior Garoppolo just stand five yards off the field because that's what that's where it seemed all the balls were going he was furious he was throwing tantrums and it just it's the Raiders are a mess an absolute mess they're going to uh, basically five share mode except they're not they're not selling anybody they're just sacking people and paying for it <laughs> literally and figuratively and, and, and they should be they should be trading because this team, 100%. this team in its in its current format, isn't going to win anything. They were not. Let's let's not. You know, and I'm not just having a go at the Raiders here because I'm a Broncos fan. Uh, I don't know Christians probably are listening, going, "Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're wrong." Um, this team's not going to win a Super Bowl. We all know this. They're just they're not good enough. They've got talented players, but having arguably the best wide receiver in the entire NFL doesn't matter if you can't get the ball to him. So when the trade was, trades were coming up and they're saying there's no chance of trading, that there's very few players in the entire league who are untradeable. Patrick Mahomes is untradeable because there's nobody you could offer for Patrick Mahomes that the Chiefs would, would say, uh, yeah, okay, let's do that swap. But that's never happening. You know, and you could argue that with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Uh, you could even say that with, about maybe uh, maybe Trevor Lawrence, the, just the way he's been going, and because he's young. Although, you know, I bet you if the Chiefs offered Pat Mahomes, <laughs> Lawrence would be gone. Um, so there's very few players who are untradeable. Devontae Adams is not untradeable. They could have got at least, and I mean rock bottom, a first rounder, a couple of other picks and a player for Devontae Adams. At least got that. And they could have traded him to a team like... Um, like the Bears, uh, the Panthers, the Cardinals. You, you know, you're looking at these teams saying, we're going to get a high pick. The Cardinals would take Devontae Adams on a heartbeat. Jake, your Saints, your Saints would take Devontae Adams. Uh, they would offer the house for him. Imagine him with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and Rashid Jaheed and Alvin come off. You behave yourself. No, I've changed my mind on that. No. Well, actually, we were interested in Hunter Info all pre-season, all season, and very kind of reputable sources on Twitter saying that um, someone was talking to uh, someone high up in the Saints and basically just said, yeah, we got ghosted. We, we were talk we were having a conversation about a, or a, a team were having a conversation about a playmaker, and then they just got ghosted. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if you connect the dots, I would take a very good guess that it was the Saints and Hunter Renfro because we've been after him for a while. He's obviously one of Derek Carr's favourite targets. Uh, he was made very available. Um, he's barely played for the Raiders. And I don't know, obviously, what's going on with uh, firing everyone and they just forgot to answer the phones. But from the sounds of it, there was offers coming in for certain players, probably... People were going to try and get... One way to not trade your players, I suppose, is just not answer the call. Maybe with the new GM coming in, I don't know who the new GM is going to be. Uh, I did see the new head coach, Pierce, was that his name? Antonio Pierce, yeah. He used to play middle linebacker for the Giants. For the Giants, yeah. So he's going to be the, the interim coach. They, they need to find a new GM. This franchise, new head coach, a new offensive coach. This is a head coach by default because they fired everybody else. The, the, this team at the moment is just an absolute shambles. And if they're not looking to trade any players, which they which they didn't do, 
that can only mean that they still believe they can they can win this year. Because otherwise you'd be looking at next year. And you'd be saying, right, let's 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 do some moves, let's do some trades, let's build up some draft capital. Because if I'm the Raiders GM and my team's playing like this, and I'm seeing what's going on with my quarterback, and I'm like, this just not working. I know they shipped Derek Carr, they brought in Jimmy G. You could argue it's been a slight upgrade. I personally don't think it has been much of one, if if at all. Uh, I know Christian disagrees. With well, me. He's one, got, of, one of them's been benched, and one of them just had the best game of the season. So I think that one kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, and and yep. you look at this and say, surely they can't think that they're going to, you know, go to the playoffs this year. Surely they can't be thinking this. Uh, but they must be, because otherwise you'd be looking at next year's draft. You're looking at someone like Caleb Williams. You're trying to find out who's got the first overall pick. Let's trade Devontae Adams to that team for the first overall pick so that we can take Caleb, Caleb Williams and build this franchise. Because you don't need the best receivers in the league if you don't have a quarterback. It's just... It, it, the mind boggles in this one anyway gentlemen we're talking far too long about this game congrats to the lions uh they win this one and um the uh the lions actually move up to six and two the raiders fall to three and five uh, same record as a few teams but you know as we said they look like one of the worst three and five teams in the league uh, I know they're going to beat the Broncos the next time they play them because they always do but it's it's just it, it's a poor show so gentlemen that wraps up our week eight week eight recap so we are going to come to our uh, week eight win fl awards jake who is your week eight player of the week offensive player of the week offensive maybe a questionable one um i went deandre hopkins he had only four catches 128 yards but had three touchdowns and i would say he worked for his touchdowns they weren't maybe the best throws in the world uh, so I gave it to DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. Um, Andrew, did you have an offensive player of the week? I did. I debated between two Cowboys. I think most might think it would be a wide receiver, but I actually went with Dak. I went with Dak Prescott. I was so impressed with the throws. 304 yards, four touchdowns. Yeah, for me, it was him. It could easily have been CD Lamb. It really could have, but I went with Dak Prescott. Um, I went with Joe Burrow. Four incompletions. That's just ridiculous. Do you know I was tempted to give it to Will Levis? For it was in his first game, four touchdowns. Uh, but I went with the Joe Burrow. Yeah, I went with Joe Burrow. Thirty-eight for uh, twenty-eight of thirty-two, two hundred eighty-three yards, three touchdowns. He was flawless in this game against San Francisco. So then we move to the defensive player of the week, Jake. Who did you have? I went with Kyle Duggar of the Patriots. He had nine tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass defense, a QB hit, and an interception. Now, I did wrangle with giving it to your boy, Simmons. I also wrangled with giving it to the Titans boy, Simmons. But in the end, I thought, why pick a Simmons? I'll, I'll just pick somebody else instead. Quite right. Quite right. Um, I'm actually giving it to a player that I don't like that uh, lost this week. I'm giving it to Kayvon Thibodeau. 
because uh, despite the fact that he did cost them that game, uh, he was playing <laughs> he, he was playing lights out in this. He has six tackles, three assists, three sacks, a forced fumble. He was all over the field. Um, and if, ha- if he hadn't been an idiot, which he is, uh, then the Giants would have won this game. So um, it pains me to say this, but I'm giving it to Kayvon Thibodeau. <laughs> um, Andrew, who do you have? I am giving it to a New York Giants defensive lineman, but it's not Thibodeau or Thibodeau. I gave it to Dexter Lawrence. Mm. Uh, Dexy Dexy. Dexy Dexy. He, was, he had 35 snaps as a pass rusher. He had 15 quarterback pressures on that 35 snaps. 10 were hurries. He hit the quarterback four times and got a sack. He was an absolutely fantastic pass rusher on a, in a game that featured a lot of, of defense. So I give it to Dexter Lawrence. Quite right. And then we come to our defensive slash special teams unit. Jake McGee, who do you have? I gave it to a former Saint. I gave it to Thomas Morstead. He had 11 punts for 529 yards, 48.1 average, had a longer 55, and he was the first player in Jets history with three punts downed inside the five-yard line in one game. So much so that the Jets uh, rebranded themselves on Twitter um, and I've had nothing but love. There's been montages of a punter. That, that's how much of a, a game changer he was in that one. Uh, he was indeed. The Giants would perennially look like starting on their own five yard line. It looked like it was ridiculous. Um, no surprises. I'm giving mine to the entire Denver Broncos defense. Um, holding the Chiefs to nine points, five turnovers. They were everywhere. Justin Simmons was electric. Nick Bonito played outstandingly well. We didn't hear Pat Sertan's name once in this game because the Chiefs didn't throw at him. It was great. PJ Locke looks great. Uh, Moreau looks great. The whole the whole defense, the entire Denver Broncos defense, get my get my vote on that one. Um, Andrew, what have you got? I can't believe that team gave up 70 points just two weeks ago. So was pulling his hair out about the historically <laughs> bad Denver Broncos what a wonderful defense this is. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> I, um, I gave actually, I mine to the Cowboys special team unit, blocked a punt, which resulted in a safety, basically turned that game round, and then uh, Kevontae Turpin had two kick returns, one for 63 yards, had another one that, that um, he actually housed, but could pull back for a flag. So for me, it was, it was the Cowboys special teams unit that I gave it to. Um, and what we're going to do, gentlemen, I'm going to supp- spring this one on you because I, I intentionally spring in this one on you. Uh, this is week eight. Week eight's done. It's in the books. Andrew, I'm going to put it to you first, just off the top of your head. First name pops into your head. Who is your mid-season MVP? Who have you got? What do you Who is my mid-season MVP? I think, uh, I think a mid-season MVP, I think you've got to go Jalen Hurts. The quarterback for the best, the, the the best record in the NFL. I hate how much quarterbacks are just the MVPs automatically. It bugs me. A couple of year or two ago, had an insane season and just was an MVP. I don't know how, but I think I'm giving it to Jim Hurts currently. Jake McGee, mid-season MVP. Who have you got? I'm gonna give it Tyreek Hill. I've I've got Tyreek Hill as well. <laughs> I, I I do. The, the the man has been. Unstoppable, and I know how great AJ Brown has been. Um, but Tidy Kill's been unstoppable this year. I, I, I've got him as my MVP, and you're right, Andrew. It's sort of 
it, it goes to the quarterbacks. It generally does go to the quarterbacks. And you could even argue, well, how could you possibly give it to Tidy Kill? Sure, you've got to give it to Tua. But no, it's Tidy Kill has been the main difference maker uh, in that Dolphins offense. So it's Tidy Kill for me. Mid-season MVP. Yeah, yeah he's been the be- he would be my offensive player, but he, but he wouldn't be my yeah. by MVP just because I know he wouldn't get it. Uh, that's true. Yeah, we, we all know when the MVP voting comes around, it's going to be a quarterback. We know this is going to happen. Uh, unless, you know, uh, I, I don't know, for argument's sakes, um, uh, one of the, the running backs goes for 3,000 yards over the next nine weeks. That's not going to happen. Even then? Yeah, even then. Do you want to be thoroughly depressed? Because I just looked at the odds. Um, obviously, Pat Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Tua, they're all kind of very close to the top. Brock Purdy is 25 to 1, the same as Christian McCaffrey, and Tyreek Hill is 50 to 1. That's um, AJ Brown is 200 to 1. That's how little value. Apparently, Derek Carr is more likely to win the MVP than AJ Brown. Yeah, it, I think he is. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> yeah, he is. And, and the thing is, it's receivers because it's such a dependent position, as, as we all know it, it is. Uh, you know, as we said, you, you need a quarterback to get you the ball, but it's what you do after you, you catch the ball. You know, that's an important thing. I, I'll be honest, I totally forgot about Christian McCaffrey. Um, <laughs> if he wasn't on that 49ers team, with Debo down, they they wouldn't even have the record they've got just now. So, you know, you could argue McCaffrey. He has, he's been a huge, uh, he's the driving force of that 49ers offense, uh, leading the league in touchdowns there. So before we do our uh, week nine preview, gentlemen, uh, the trade deadline is officially over. Um, so, Andrew, I believe you've got a list there of the trades that have happened. So we'll go through them one at a time um, and you just give us a, the big name trades that have happened. Yeah, so first up we've got Russell Douglas. He's gone from Green Bay to Buffalo. Yes, Rasul Douglas uh, in exchange for Rasul Douglas and a fifth round draft pick in exchange for a third round draft pick. That seems awfully undercutting uh, Rasul Douglas's worth. And you can always tell by the reaction of the fans of the team that they leave and the Green Bay fans were absolutely raging at this trade. They couldn't believe it. Uh, just a quick insight on that. What do you think of that, Andrew? What do you reckon? Uh, as a Dolphins fan who's wanted to win the FC East, I was I I, I, I cursed when that when that <laughs> popped up my phone. Yeah, I was not happy to see them stick in, in the in the defensive backfield. It's a good move for them. Yeah, it 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 make it makes sense for them. And Green Bay again, are they going anywhere this year? No, I'm seeing the Packers GM has just said that he's unsure of Jordan Love's the future. It's been eight games. He's like, oh, I don't know. So. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense for both teams. Uh, Jake, anything on, to add on that, Russell Douglas? Yeah, he was a, a big leader vocally in the, the locker room as well, so I don't think it's gone down well with the players, uh, certainly not with the, the fans. Uh, but it did lead to a, a very interesting injury report put out by the Bills. Uh, the usual injury report of you know players did not practice, full practice. Uh, Russell Douglas just has, he just got here. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's next, Andrew? We've got Contavious Street that's just gone to the Falcons from yeah. the Eagles. Yeah, so uh, a defensive lineman Contavious Street 
uh, and a seventh round draft pick. The Philly get a sixth round draft pick for that one. So uh, low exchange there. So it's almost like just giving him uh, over to Atlanta there. Clearly he's sort of surplus to requirements. I'm going to be honest, not a player I know a lot about. Um, Andrew, Jake, do you have anything uh, about Street at all that's noteworthy? Um, not particularly. He'd only started one game for the Eagles. I picked him up as a free agent this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was appearing in games, but I don't think he was doing much. So they just they shipped him for something. Yeah, I think they've got an embarrassment of riches on the D line, so they're all happy to kind of ship him out. And then for the Falcons, Grady Jarrett went down with uh, ACL. I think. I think he mm. might be done for the year. And the person that came in for him and replaced him also went out injured. So I think it was a, a much needed trade for the Falcons, and they, they've given up practically nothing so you can't really hate it uh from a falcon's point of view not true enough uh, what have you got next for us andrew uh kevin byard yes uh, is now, now going to the eagles so, so you know if, if you could only have one of the two i think kevin byard might be the better option between them um, and uh contavious street i mean jake already mentioned the embarrassment of riches that philadelphia has across the board um getting kevin byard so basically the eagles get kevin byard the titans get um, Terrell Edmonds plus a fifth round 2024 and a sixth round 2024 picks low picks um, so it's almost a swap Bayard for Edmonds um, I think the Eagles won this one Andrew what do you think yeah the rich getting richer yeah I think that's going to help them a lot you can just <laughs> at this point you know when you know you're a contender just see what you can pick up pick up uh, uh, good players who maybe don't have a future with the team they're on Team building and basically put everything into getting that Super Bowl. Jake? Yeah, it's another one I, I really like and I might jump in and, and steal the next one in terms of uh, I was going to mention it with the, the last game we're coming the Lions. The Eagles and well, the Lions previously with DeAndre Swift traded him or let him go to the Eagles, and that was him going back home to Philly. Um, Bayard is from Philly as well, so him getting not only to go back home to Philadelphia but also challenge for mm. minimum the nfc if not a super bowl is fantastic uh, and then the next one like i said i'm gonna kind of jump in that was very similar was the the browns traded donovan donovan people jones to the lions for a sixth well he's from detroit so i think the way i was getting with this was Devonte adams i think a lot of teams now do right by players in terms of trading them and they're a lot more open to where they trade them you know a lot of players wanting to go back home or where they've got you know Devon Adams it originally went to um I was about to say Oakland originally went to Las Vegas to be with Derek Carr kind of thing yeah so them not trading him and not letting him kind of go somewhere I think is kind of mismanagement and say Donovan People Jones had a good year last year uh not done an awful lot this year but that's kind of the Browns offense and the Lions getting another offensive weapon for only a sixth is, is certainly not bad business for themselves it is and Donald Peoples Jones is one of those guys who always seems to be open on third down when they need a conversion he just always seems to be there but Gene it was sort of either him or the, the, the tight end uh, Njoku for the Browns seemed to be the only players who were coming up with big third down plays so I think the Lions have got an absolute steal there yep absolutely they have yep uh, so uh, next up uh, we have Ezra Cleveland uh, a guard going to Jacksonville to beef up their offensive line. Yeah, he comes over from the Vikings uh, in exchange for a 2024 six-round pick. Um, again, a lot of these low picks going for players. Cleveland, uh, a solid player, I think. The Jaguars just looking to get, uh, add some protection for Trevor Lawrence. What do you think of that one, Andrew? 
Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Again, they have got their eyes set on potentially making a run at this, and I, I don't see why not. Again, just posted up, and we, we, you were talking about Devante Adams, first-round picks and stuff. You'll notice a lot of the time, these guys aren't going for big picks. At, at this point in time, you just uh, move somebody off your roster for a mid-round pick, um, and so a sixth-round pick for, for a guard, why not? It's low, low risk, high reward, potentially. Yeah, Jake? Yeah, you can't hate on getting offensive line help um, at starting kind of guard for a six-round pick. You've got to look after Trevor Lawrence. That's that's number one. It is. that that Every team who has a good quarterback should be thinking about just beefing up the offensive line nothing else at the moment. Uh, what have you got for us next, Andrew? Laird Williams, who's now on the Seattle defensive line. Yeah, so Leonard Williams. Um, he's... A great defensive player. He, he really is. Uh, the Seahawks give up a 2024 second round draft pick and a 2025 fifth round draft pick for Leonard Williams. I think, although it's a second round pick, I think the I think the Eagle the, the Seahawks. I beg your pardon. I, I'm so used to seeing the Eagles won that trade. Uh, I think the Seahawks won that trade. I think Williams is is really going to help them uh, up front and the Giants. I I think they're going to be in in essentially just selling mode, trying to do something mm-hmm. to try and beef up. Uh, Jake, what do you think of that? Well, the Seahawks defense has already been good this year. Now, again, a, a, a piece like Donald Williams is is fantastic. Now, the Giants are paying or have paid Williams nine just over nine point three million in a signing bonus, means in Seattle only has to pay him six hundred forty-seven thousand for the rest of the season. Um, he's out of contract at the end of this year, so even if for whatever reason, the Seahawks don't re-sign him, they'd probably end up getting a third or a fourth in a, in a comp pick. So basically the Giants paid $9.3 million for a second-round pick. Um, it's great for Leonard Williams. That's that's kind of the takeaway I'd take. He's mm-hmm. going from a team that had no ambition to a team that is sitting atop the NFC West and, and is certainly trying to be frisky. So good for Leonard Williams. Yeah, Andrew? Yeah, very, very happy. I, I think I'd give for both teams, really. You know, the Giants, they're not winning anything. They move on. They get something. Laird Williams is a disruptor. Maybe it's only a one-year rental, but again, you push for it and you see where you're at. So, yeah, I think it's a good, I think it worked well for both sides. Yeah, who's next, Andrew? All right, so Joshua Dobbs, quarterback from Arizona to Minnesota to replace Kirk Cousins. Yeah, so... Joshua Dobbs has played really well this year, given his situation in Arizona. He has. And uh, Minnesota gets Josh Dobbs and a seventh-round draft pick. Uh, Arizona gets a sixth-round pick for Dobbs. Obviously, Cutter Cousins is down. Looks like he might be out for the year. Achilles, I think they were seeing. Uh, it looks like that. They needed a quarterback. They've got a quarterback. It'll be interesting to see what he can do with the weapons they have in Minnesota. Um, Jake, I'll pass it over to you quickly. What do you think? Yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to start this week, which I don't think is surprising, given the fact that you've got two, three days to figure out an entire new playbook. He's already been traded once this season, so poor Josh Jobs. I'm hoping he's renting, not buying. Uh, and if he, you know, once he gets settled in Minnesota and they get Justin Jefferson back, if he does go on to have a, a good end of the season, somebody give this man a long-term contract. He, he deserves it at this point. Yeah, I, I pull for the guy. I just do. I remember he got traded to Arizona and then he went to go buy his jersey or his family did and they didn't have it in his name. And he just, you want him to do well. Like he, he was fighting for the Cardinals team. Um, I, from, I don't think Jaron Hall, who the, the Vikings um, 
back up as anyone you are ready to be. I'm not sure you'll ever be playing games. It, it, I find it amazing sometimes. We were talking about DeVito earlier. Why are these people on the roster? Like, if, if, if they genuinely can't throw um, um, in the NFL, why are they on the roster? But there we go. So, yeah, I think I, I would expect Joshua Dobbs to eventually be starting there and see if he can somehow keep the Vikings in playoff contention. Do you know, that's a really good point, actually, because there's only 32 teams. So it's 32 starting quarterbacks. Are you telling me there's not another 32 people in the entire United States of America who can throw a ball? Because you see some mm-hmm. of these players, they're like, the man can't throw. It's, it's just bizarre. Um, moving on, Andrew, who do we have next? We have two left, and uh, I think we could very well discuss them together because it's Montez Sweat going to Chicago from the Commanders and Chase Young going from the Commanders to San Francisco. Yeah, so the Commanders, um, who were famous for having, was it four first-rounders in that front four that they had, first-round picks, yeah. uh, have now lost two of them. <laughs> um, the Chicago traded a 2024 a second-round pick for Montez Sweat, um, and the San Francisco 49ers, um, they traded... A third a round compensated pick. Third. Not even their third round pick, they're compensated pick. So third they're like at the very bottom of the third round. So they got a second rounder and a third round compensatory for yeah. Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who you could argue mm-hmm. were their two best frontline players. That just. And like like Andrew says, it's a, not even a good third round. You know, it's not like it's going to be the Cardinals' third round pick. It's going to be like pick like. 150 at this point because the 49ers lost people like Mike McGlintry and, and players like that last yeah. year. So they got a good they got a good few uh, compensatory picks and they basically sold Young and Sweat for or Young and Sweat as they were called on the, on the line for for peanuts. I mean the Bears' second round pick will be a better one. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's probably not too bad for Monte Sweat. They were both in kind of contract years. Chase Young's had big issues with staying fit and healthy, but when he is fit and healthy, he's a, a monster. Yeah. Um, interesting to see if Montez Sweat is a rental or if the Bears pay him, because if he gets paid, obviously I won't feel too bad for him because he's going to get a monster contract, but going from the Commanders to the Bears is incredibly disappointing. So I hope for his sake he, he's going to be at the Bears this year, refuses to sign a contract, and then gets to pick of the bunch because going from the Commanders to the Bears is gonna gotta be one of the most depressing careers ever. <laughs> Andrew, just before I put it over to you, the Redskins front four was outstanding. Can't, can't say that word. Sorry, Commanders. <laughs> <sighs> the Washington front four was outstanding because of Chase Young Montes. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Um, belittling the other players on that defense i'm really not but those two were huge parts i'm going to be really interesting to see what this washington defense looks like with those two players gone what do you think yeah i i don't particularly love these trades simply i mean i love them from some chicago if, look, if, if they're in contact years and you don't think you can sign them i understand you've got a young quarterback you've decided to go with howell you're, you're still in the playoff race and you've basically just gone Nah, you know, and you, and you ran the Eagles close, like you're not a mile away here, and yet you decided to get rid of them. They were the it's, only they were the only bizarre. team to stop the the brotherly shove. 
They were the only yeah. because of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. It was uh, for weeks uh, and especially the last couple of days. It was will they trade Sweat? Will they trade Young? Which one will they trade? Which one will they give up? Will they give up neither? And then when Sweat got traded, everyone was like, "Oh, they they chose to keep Chase Young. They 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 traded Sweat." That that's the end of it. And then it came up on Twitter like, "Oh no, they're still possibly exploring trades of Chase Young." Like. No, they're not going to trade both. You know, they've gone from trading none to maybe one to now both. And then to get so little for Chase Young as well, I mean, it's great for the 49ers because you know, they need all the help they can get. But uh, yeah, just a really questionable decision. And I think I saw the owner of the commanders now, Harris, Josh Harris. He had yeah. been involved in quite a few trades in the NBA as well. So he's obviously likes wheeling and dealing and. We'll see if it pays off, but I've got my doubts. Yeah, I'll go and make that same point. You you trade for James Harden in the NBA and then all of a sudden he just goes crazy with um, his NFL team. Don't love it, but like I said, if if they weren't going to sign, if they were certain they'd go losing for nothing, better to have a second or third round pick moving forward with with, with a young team that is. They probably would have got a third and a fourth anyway from compensatory. Yeah, I just... They've not even gained that much from it. Like I say, the Montez Sweat one, I can forgive more because it's a second round pick but it's also going to be a high second yeah. round pick that's true but the, the chase young for basically like pick god knows what it's going to be 120 i don't even know it's what it'll be, right it will be one the, of the last ones right at the back end right at the back end of yeah. the third round we know this it's it's ridiculous it i'm comparing it to so like, obviously when the trade deadline was coming i was i was deadly worried because there was rumors that the broncos might trade justin simmons or pat sartan and I was like, I don't want to lose either of those guys. I know Mike Tomlin had come out and said that he wanted Pat Sertan. And I was like, no, can't have him. Right? <laughs> I want Pat Sertan. I'll take Pat Sertan. Oh, no, every- throw the Saints in there as well. Yeah, because, you know, he's, he's that kind of player. And, and you're just like, no. But, but then I was thinking, you know, if one of them is going to be traded, do you want it to be your all-pro cornerback or your all-pro safety? And I was like, neither. Um, and it's, it's, I'm not saying, like, the, for the Redskins it's the same but it kind of was the same, you know? And they're like, well, if you're going to trade one of them, Sweat or Young, which one's it going to be? Because they're both vital parts of that defense. And then to trade both of them for not a lot, you're like, you couldn't get a second round pick for Chase Young. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I've got, of all teams, he's going to the 49ers. As if their defense yeah. wasn't good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I know that the, the Bengals... Uh, cooked them there but that was because of a, a lot of uh you know the, the offensive problems you know give short fields and stuff like that uh, for the 49ers they didn't need chase young they really didn't and for a third round compensated you're just like oh, what <laughs> what you'll take you'll take him for that yeah, yeah. No, it's a freebie yeah, basically. Much. Uh, so, gentlemen, there we go. Um, so, we are going to move on to our rapid fire week nine predictions. I don't actually have a, a thing. I wish I did. Anyway, we start off with the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday night. And I'm taking the Titans with Will Lowe as a quarterback. I think he repeats his performance. Maybe not the four touchdowns. But I don't trust the Steelers' offense at all after last week. And I've got the Titans winning this one. 24-16. Jake? I think it'll be an ugly game. Uh, I don't trust either offenses. So I've gone the Steelers 20-17. to 17. Andrew? 
And I've, I've, um, I've gone Titans again. I totally agree. Pickett versus Levis doesn't scream points to me. So I've got 17-13 to the Titans. We then have the Sunday morning game, which I like. Afternoon for us, obviously. In Frankfurt, the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and I, I'm torn because I think the Chiefs are going to have a bounce back. But I think the Dolphins are going to be too powerful for them. And I think the Chiefs lose their second in a row in a high-scoring affair. I've got the Dolphins winning a 31-28, Jake. Well, I felt happy about this pick before I knew Andrew was coming on. And now I've got to upset my friend. <laughs> I've picked the Chiefs 35-30. to 30. You had no issues well, upsetting you- me. Now you <laughs> laughed at me for picking my Broncos. But there you go, <laughs> Andrew. Well, Jake, as a friend, I'm going to make you feel better. The Dolphins have yet to beat a team with a great record. I do think Mahomes is going to bounce back. I could absolutely see the Dolphins winning this one, but I've actually got the Chiefs winning 38-30. I hope I'm wrong. <gasps> My goodness, picking against his own team. We don't do that here in the WinFL show. Um, speaking <laughs> I, of, I do occasionally because spe- it works out. Speaking of which, the Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Jake, I'm taking your Saints in this one. I know I said I shouldn't because every time I take them, they lose, but I, I, if this Bears offense continues the way it is, then uh, I've got the Saints winning this one fairly handily uh, by a score of of 27 to 14. Yeah, I, I begrudgingly took the Saints last week and it paid off. I have no issues with taking them this week. 28 to 17. Oh, I'm very close. 30 16. Uh, we then come to the Arizona Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns. I have no idea who the Cardinals quarterback is, so I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, I think the Browns defense is just going to be too much for them, although I think their offense still stinks. Uh, I've got the Browns winning this one in a low-scoring affair, 17-10. to 10. Well, Watson is practicing, but it's probably going to be uh, Peter Walker. And then for the Cardinals, it's going to be probably Clayton Toon. Um So, yeah, I'm not expecting fireworks in this game, but I'll go 24-13 for the Browns. Yeah, I would have the cards picking up more points if it was going to be Callum Murray, but I don't think it will be yet. I put the Browns win 24-6. Then have the Minnesota Vikings travelling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Um, I don't know what's happening with the Vikings quarterback. I'm not sure what's happening with the Falcons, but I believe he said it was Taylor Heineke. I think with a full mm-hmm. week under his belt, Taylor Heineke gets it done at home against the Vikings, and the Falcons win a squeaker in overtime, 20-17. to I've given it the Falcons mainly because I don't think Dobbs is going to be the quarterback and I don't trust their, their fifth-round rookie, so I've gone 25-18 to the Falcons. I, I don't mind Heineke as a quarterback. Uh, I've got the Falcons winning this 20-14. We then have the Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers, and every time I take the Rams, they lose, but I'm taking the Rams again. They've got to get it back on track. Uh, I've got the Rams winning another close one here, 19-17. to I have the exact same score, <gasps> just the other way around. <laughs> I've picked the Packers. I have also picked the Packers, and they've also gotten 19 points, but the Rams are just getting the 10. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we then have the Seattle Seahawks at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Seahawks have looked good, possibly better than most people would have expected, but I don't think they're going to take down Baltimore. I think that it's going to be too tough at home for them, and I've got the Ravens winning this one by a score of 
I think this might be my favourite game of the week just because it's two teams I've quite enjoyed watching, especially defensively. I did end up giving it to the Ravens, but 16-15. to 15. Ooh, five field goals yeah, for Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, this could be a cracker of a game, but I've gone Ravens 29-23. Is that, is that five field goals for Seattle, Jake, or will there be a two-point conversion in there? Oh, there might be a safety. There's uh, going to be all sorts of stuff. Nice, nice. Really we then have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Houston Texans. Um, I've got faith in the Bucs in this one. You know, I've got Baker Mayfield, uh, best quarterback they've had since 2019. Um, so I'm taking the Buccaneers to win this one by a score of 21-20. to 20. Close one. I have the exact same score. <laughs> Just the other way around. What's going on? Texans twenty one to twenty. Well this time I'm with Yosa. I've got the Bucks seven twenty one. We then have the Washington Commanders at the New England Patriots. The Commanders have no defensive line left, so I'm taking the Patriots to win. Shock horror. Um it is. I'm taking the Patriots. Uh, it's a low scoring affair, but I'm winning at nineteen to sixteen. Well, I have the Patriots win. Fourteen to thirteen. I've gone Commanders. I have no faith in this past team. 27-17 Commanders. Then of the Indianapolis Colts at the Carolina Panthers. I'm taking the Colts to have a big bounce back win against Carolina. Um, and I've actually got them winning this one very handily. I've gone 40-20. to 20. Oof, I think the Panthers uh, are a bit better than that. Not enough to win, though. I've gone the Colts 21-18. to 18. I've also got quite close. I think the Panthers now with that one win under their belt might might push on, but I've got the Colts squeaking it 24-23. We then have the Cowboys at the Eagles. This should be a very interesting game, but I've got the Eagles winning this one, and I've got it going into overtime with the Eagles Eagles with a walk-off touchdown, 26-20. I've got the Eagles winning 27-24, so another nail-biter. I... I've gone with the Cowboys. I was very impressed with them on Sunday. Uh, the Eagles, while the record's good, you can see a flaw here or there. And yeah, they could have easily lost from before, so it's close, but 28-24 Cowboys. We then have what is arguably going to be the worst game of the week, with the New York Giants at the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I have no idea who's going to win. I was so torn when I was deciding who was going to win this game. At one point, I had as a tie. Uh, but I'm actually taking the Raiders at home, even though I I don't I'm not convinced about this, not confident. But I've got the Raiders winning at home, sixteen to thirteen. I've also gone Raiders seventeen to fourteen. And just sometimes a change in scenery, a change in coach um, inspires players, and I'm counting on that. I uh, I made my pick before all the changes, but because <laughs> it's the Giants. I've just stuck with the Raiders. So I've got the Raiders winning 20 to 10. We then have what's going to be a much better game. Buffalo Bills at the Cincinnati. See if this turns out that the Raiders-Giants is a great game and this one's rubbish. I won't believe it. Uh, <laughs> Buffalo Bills at the Cincinnati Bengals. In Joe Burrow, I trust. I've got the Bengals winning this one in another close game, 27-26. Yeah, before we started recording, I said that I still hadn't picked this game. I had gone back and forth multiple times. I have settled with the Bills winning 27-24, but I have no confidence in this. 
The Bulls absolutely shellacked the Dolphins. They absolutely destroyed them. It's the only time I've thought to myself the Bulls look fantastic. They've looked fine at other pieces, the other points. They've looked poor at other points. And after what I saw from Burrow, I'm taking the Bengals 33 to 24. Yeah, I think it's a case of which Bills are going to turn up. It's, it's, it's going to yep. decide this game. I feel like they play to their opposition. That's the way I see the Bills. If they play a poor team, they play poor. If they play a good team, they play well. So using that logic, I've got a little bit more faith all of a sudden. Sounds like the Scottish national team. Hmm. Um, we then have the Los Angeles Chargers at the New York Jets. I've got the Chargers winning this one, but as we know, every game the Jets play is an ugly game, uh, so it's still going to be a low scorer, uh, despite the Chargers' offensive weapons, and I've got them winning this one by a score of 13-6. to six. I mean, I have it as a, as a very close game, um, but the Chargers do eventually win out 20-17. to 17. If Herbert can just avoid mistakes... And just, just trusting his arm talent itself, I think the Chargers will win this one. I've got, uh, oh, I almost said San Diego. The LA Chargers 24, the New York Jets 13, I did a new, sir. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad it's not just me that says San Diego all the time. Jake always has a go at me for that. Anyway, gentlemen, that wraps up our Week 9 Rapid Fire Preview. We have time for one more segment. And it is, of course... Random Stats. Random Stats. Uh, Andrew, you're the you're the, you're a guest. Would you like to go first with your random stat? I can indeed. Yeah, I was having a look at this. This is a a, a head coaching record that I I took note of recently. In Eleven seasons, they've had eighty one wins and ninety four losses. Forty three wins at home to forty four losses. They are thirty three wins to six nine losses versus five hundred teams. Uh, they uh, are about to have their eighth losing season, I would have thought. And that person's going into the Hall of Fame. Because that is Bill Belichick's, Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady. Bill Belichick's record with Tom Brady, 219 wins and 64 losses with six Super Bowls. He has a losing record at, at almost every stat, and he has never, without Tom Brady on your centre, won a division title. Right. Which I find quite incredible. Right. However, because there, oh, there is an however to this. There always is with you, Mr. Nyosa. Well, the reason <laughs> I say that is because the, 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 the game that they played against Miami uh, just this past week, that you watched and that I watched, um, mm-hmm. at no point did the New England defense late in that fourth quarter turn the ball over to give their team a chance to win. Whereas when Tom Brady played, that happened every single week. The defense bailed him out every single time. So um, it's still not Tom Brady, system quarterback. It's just, it's just 100% well, who's, Tom Brady. Who's, who's a, a defensive coach? I know, I, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that, Jake, because it is, it's, it's Belichick, right? So it's his defense. But they've not been lucky since Tom Brady. See, this is the thing. It's better to be lucky than good. And no one has ever been luckier than Tom Brady. When he went to the Buccaneers, they were the luckiest team in the league by a mile. It was ridiculous. The amount of luck, 50-50 balls bouncing their way, would never happen before and it'll never happen again. All because of Tom Brady. Because he I, well, made a deal I have with a, I have a, 
I've got an extra wee stat here, which is that people also credit the offensive line. The assistant quarterback, just get offensive line. That's what it is. He had all the time in the world to throw the ball. Well, in 2007, he was sacked just 21 times on 578 pass attempts. Uh, he was the least sacked quarterback to play 16 games and the second least he was ever sacked. The least he was ever sacked, two years later, 2009, where Brady best year in terms of sacked, he was getting sacked once a game, 16 uh, times in 16 games. What a great offensive line that must be. Now you will notice I missed out 2008. Why did I miss out 2008? Because he got injured in the first quarter and got replaced. And so behind the great offensive line, Matt Cassell came in. Would you like to guess which quarterback was the most sacked quarterback in the league in 2008? Who, who Matt was that? Okay, now, uh, what, was his, what was I've his... said many times before that sacks are a quarterback stat. Uh, uh, yeah. Generally speaking, you can avoid sacks. Generally speaking, yeah. What yep. was Matt Castle's record in the 2008 season? Do you know what it was? Eleven and five. Eleven and five. A guy who'd never the played AFC. in the NFL, never had a snap, came in and went eleven and five, and didn't make the playoffs. That, that's by the by. That's because of what other teams <laughs> did. He went eleven and five. Now I've I've, I've I've argued this point before, Andrew, and I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say That's it again. Why I do this. 2007 Patriots, sixteen and zero. Tom Brady goes down one play out of a difference. They go eleven and five. 2010 Indianapolis Colts, fourteen and two. Peyton Manning goes down two and fourteen. One player difference. That is the difference. That's the difference. Tom Brady, Tom, Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady wasn't covering up deficiencies in the New England Patriots. He was a better. I've always said he was a good quarterback. He was. He was a very good quarterback. But he's not the best of all. I can't believe a Dolphins fan. I, I hate it. I know. I hate it. But I also have to respect what he is. Yeah, I do. Uh, so yeah. So Bill Belichick never won a division title without uh, Tom Brady. Oh, there you go. I won a Super Bowl without him, so that's all right. Belichick has two rings from his time in New York. As a coordinator, as a coordinator not as a... As and a coach. why did those Giants teams win those two Super Bowls? Because of their defense. The 86 Giants, <laughs> the, eight, the 86 Giants, the 1990 Giants, both the best defenses in the NFL. Bill Belichick. I'm just saying. Lawrence Taylor. That was all Lawrence Taylor. Uh, oh, he's a system one, player. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Taylor was just system Russia. System, yeah, system pass Russia. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. System pass Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Belichick's, Belichick's I, I know I've, sa- I've said this a thousand times this podcast. I'm going to say it again. Belichick's game plan against the Bills in Super Bowl 25 to rush two down linemen. It was just inspired nobody could understand what he was doing the commentators were like why are they doing this and bill belichick's like we're gonna let thurman thomas rush for 150 yards and touchdown and we'll win the game his own players are like what are you talking about coach and he was right they won the game it was just inspired anyway 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 i've always said oh i've always just said bill belichick he's a very good coach he's maybe just not the cases of all time and maybe, maybe past a bit now. Maybe he's even he's probably feeling like I've got nothing left to prove. Um, yeah. If if that is if that is the case, Andrew, in your opinion, who's the best head coach of all time? 
and Bill Belichick is, a, is an excellent head coach. Oh, of course he is. Um, but if you yeah. didn't have him number one, let's say you had him number two, yeah. who would you put above him? It's Don Shula for me. It's just it's it's a perfect season. It's there for two decades, and just in 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 a year in a in, when it just it wasn't it was so much more difficult to win. It, it just was more difficult. It just ah oh, just yeah. I've just I, I just I pine for those days. I've just I followed the Dolphins as perennial losers for two decades. I, w- I wish I had Don Shula days, but I don't. Yeah, I can I, I can I can get more of that. I can get more of Don Shula. I absolutely can. Um, someone else I might put up there, uh, other than Parcells because he was something. Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs from Washington. Yeah. All those years, three Super Bowl wins, three different quarterbacks. Didn't matter who was playing. His teams won, and they won a lot. Uh, Joe Gibbs is an excellent coach. And, of course, very biased, Mike Shanahan. Still not on the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Sorted out. I'm still... Agreed. Oh, honestly, I, 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 I was looking at this again. Uh, um, they were talking about uh, players and coaches in the Hall of Fame, and you're looking at some of them and go, what are they even doing there? When someone like Mike Shanahan mm. isn't in the Hall of Fame. Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame. Jerry Jones! For being an owner! I mean, I mean, for being rich. If I had billions of dollars, that'd make me a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I got carried away. I do apologize. You see what he's doing I, to me, That Jake? was my point. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> do you see what he's doing to me, Jake? Doing this on podcast. Yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew of this plan. Don't worry. <laughs> you two are in cahoots. Uh, Jake, what does, what does your random stat, Jake? Well, mine kind of talks about the Hall of Fame a little bit. Uh, and maybe a player that, if he was born 50 years ago, probably would be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Taysom Hill. He joined Pro Football Hall of Famer Frank Gifford as the only players in NFL history with 25-plus rushing touchdowns, 10-plus passing touchdowns, and 10-plus receiving touchdowns in a career, including the playoffs. Now, Gifford played in the 50s. Nobody's done it since. If Taysom Hill played in the 1970s, he would be a Hall of Famer. He would be uh, an elite player. Uh, and I feel like even in the modern day, a lot of teams are trying to find their Taysom Hill. And the Saints, as I mentioned earlier, 17-1 and one when he rushes more than seven times. Maybe the Saints should realize who they've got on their team and, and run the ball with Taysom Hill a bit more. Absolutely. I love Taysom Hill. I love Taysom and, and, you know, it hurts me a bit because you're you're not trying to tell me Tim Tebow couldn't have had that type of career. Mm-hmm. So so similar. And and I refuse to believe that he couldn't have been utilised by a team in the same way that the Saints uh, utilised Taysom Hill. But I love Taysom Hill. Great player. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, he's a jack of all trades. He, he makes teams tick. He's, he, he's the kind of guy who the Saints will never get rid of and pace until the legs are gone. Because he can do so much, he, he gives you so much versatility, and you can just count on him. I do. I, I I enjoy watching him play. He's got the ball in his hands. He might throw it. He might run it. He might be catching it, but uh, he'll do something. And you often find in many sports, if you can find that utility guy who can do a bunch of different things and do them well, they can be invaluable to you. We said before with uh, the Chiefs' uh, safety that could pick the ball and why pay a kicker? Yeah, well, Taysom Hill can play. Um, returner on special teams. He can play tight end. He can play running back. He can play wide receiver. He can play quarterback. I mean, why pay four or five different people? Just got one guy that can do it all. Teach him to punt. Teach him to kick field goals. 
whatever. Because he also it can't be he, much worse than did, our special teams at the moment. Yeah. Our kicker and special and our punter at the moment are awful. So he probably do. A did he game. not? I, I'm sure I watched a game last year where he blocked a punt as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a gunner. He chases down punts. He can block punts. He, he can do everything. He can do everything. Taysom Hill, love it. That's a good stat, Jake. I like that one. Uh, so, gentlemen, uh, my random stat concerns um, punting because I watched that Battle of New Jersey and I was just, I was so sick of it. I was like, oh my word, surely there's some sort of record going on. There's, there's 24 combined punts. It's not a record. It's not a record. Uh, but it made me think, what is the most amount of punts that a team has had in an NFL season? And the answer to that question is um, the 2002 Houston Texans uh, played 16 games and they punted 116 times. 116 times. That's the equivalent of one punt a game plus a hundred other punts. It's ridiculous. <laughs> 2002 Houston Texans. Just absolutely horrendous. I mean, you think of it. Was that their first year in the league, the Texans? Uh, was, they were around 2002 when they started. The Houston Texans? Oh, when was their first year in the league, actually? Do you know what it might have been? I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I will yeah. have a wee look at that and I'll be able to tell you. Uh, we'll go to the franchise encyclopedia. Yes, that was their first year in the league, 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, they won four games. They went four and 12 in, that, in their, their first ever season. Uh, Dom Capers was the coach back then. Um, and uh, any guesses who the quarterback was? David Carr. <laughs> David Carr, that's absolutely right. David Carr was the quarterback for them. Um, and yeah. Was Shane a, Leckler the punter? The, Would that have been Leckler? The Texans. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking. I was like, who, who could be the punter? Because surely he should be in the Hall of Fame just for, you know, um, it was all the hard work that year. It was Chad Stanley. Household name. Uh, yeah. Averaged 41.4 per punt. Well, he had plenty of practice. <laughs> he I had, from Sandsville, he had all the field to aim for. You know. Now, here's, here, here's the great, <clears throat> the, 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 my favourite bit of this stat. Um, of his 116 punts, two of them were blocked. His longest was 62 yards. Guess how many touchbacks he had from 116 punt attempts. I'm going to guess low because I'm going to guess that he was punting, especially because David Carr got sacked so much, he was punting from his own half lot. I'm going to go with like seven. <laughs> that wouldn't have been my guess of that guy as well. I'll say 18. Six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so, so close. close to your one out. He had six touchbacks. Uh, he only dropped 36 inside the 20, but that's because he was punched from his own end zone all the time. You're right. Um, yes, yeah, so 116 punts, six touchbacks. That is the most amount of punts ever in a 16-game season. Um, uh, if the if the Giants and the Jets carried on with the rate that uh, they hit that last one, then I'm sure they could uh, do something else. It was, uh, how many game can know it? 13, was it? I think it was yes, they th- had 24 points uh, in... Uh, 24 punts and 23 points in the game. They had more punts than points, wow. which is never a good sign. Do you know, it, it, it never is. That's um, 
that's that's a poor show. I mean, when you think about it, that's just that's a horrendous amount of punts. If if they was, if they punted thirteen uh, thirteen times in seventeen games, that would be two hundred and twenty one punts. The only thing worse that came out of the, the Jets Giants game was the fact that Saquon Barkley's dad left the left the stadium in full Jets gear. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a he's a Jets fan. Saquon Barkley growing up was a Jets fan. It's like, well, Dad, I've just lost an overtime game. Give me a day off. Fa- <laughs> you know what family I like. You know what family I like. Uh, anyway, gentlemen, that wraps up this uh, this week's episode of the WinFL Show. Um, Andrew, thank you so much uh, for stepping in. Really appreciate. It. Always good to have you on. Thanks so much. Really, really enjoyed it, guys. It was nice. This is my first time being able to podcast with Jake as well, which was a lovely bonus. And uh, Jake, thank you very much for stopping by. Well, thank you for putting up with me and Andrew conspiring against you. You totally are, the two of you. This is this is never happening again, just telling you now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone listening. Don't forget you can catch us on uh, Twitter, X at the WinFL Show. You can also find myself, Jake, Andrew, Dave, Tim, Callum, everybody. We're all on here. Uh, Patrick, of course, Statrick Jackson. Statrick, that name's sticking. Apparently, um, he actually messaged me last week to say that he used to get called that. Uh, in in one of his jobs because I think he he was a, he worked in the statistics department so I mean I, I, you know that it it explains an awful lot really it really does uh, but yeah thanks to everyone uh, for listening and we will see you on next week's edition of the WinFL show.